there was a really weird um, issue last time. I think it I think it probably just had to do with like a different setting because sometimes I'll do this this setting truncate silence, but the which which just cuts the silence. But you can set at which decibel counts as silence, and I think that was set too high. I think that was the issue, so that like at the end of sentences, it would just cut out and then. Uh, or if someone was speaking too low, it would cut out. So this weird, it sounds really awkward on, especially it happens a lot on the second one. That's what's taking me so long to finish it. I mean, I'm going to keep this part in so people hear that, like, I'm not happy with this audio for the second one. So so this on this one, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to truncate silence, or at least I'm going to change the decibels that uh, the silence is truncated at. So that's on me. I have to start the, uh, I have to, like, record a little, like, like hey, apologies, I goofed, um, but but that that one that one's on me. I'll figure that one out. You got Okey your coffee? Dokey, okie dokey. I've got my coffee. You got your you got your coffee. You got your your e-cigarettes. You got your incense. You got Let's your fucking go, dude. Your cereal. Are you playing? The cereal is how we. Um, is how we decide yeah, when the podcast yeah, yeah. is over because when the yeah. cereal is getting gets fully melty um and that it's just like a mush that's when the podcast is done here i am once it's again February game of the year favorite yeah. February February well, game of the year it's good it's good because now we we have the entire year in retrospect February game of the year let's go okay okay best games. We have categories. Let me run down the categories real quick. Which, ca- which categories? We're not doing Best Destroy, right? All right. Um, best games that didn't release this year. We're that's, doing That's a good category. I like it. Best Bullet Heaven. Fantastic category. Best Steam Deck Game. Fantastic category. Best Game Pass Game. I love it. I don't understand what it is, but I love it. Best Elden Ring Boss. Hmm, Fantastic okay. category. No, what? You, what do you mean, hmm, okay? It's a great category. Best designed Marvel Snap card. What is Marvel Snap? All right, let's go. Okay. Uh, best ongoing. I like this category. You don't like this category, but I like it. No, it's fine. You know, it just needs better things in it. Okay, this. Ca- well, uh, well. Okay, best... well. Th- well, then you help me out. Then you, you I do the work. Stuff. Best move. Uh, no, no, we're not doing I, that one. Which I'm having a hard are, time. Well, best best move. What I wanted. So, so I mean, Marvel Snap because and there there are. We could talk about this later. But okay. like some things belong in best move. Best best move. Best, best move versus best ongoing. Best ongoing is like the best the the game that got the best updates that got the most like uh you know love in, in 2022. Best move is like more of an individual thing of like. Like like for, like be, the single thing they you, did. You okay. have you have the rollback. Yeah. Like for example, like Blaze Blue cross uh, yeah. continuing cool. shift or whatever calamity functions. I cut out a bunch of. I'm gonna uh, strike these ones. We'll strike this, and then we've got James's VR corner. Kirby Craven's mobile games that are not Marble Snap. Well, it was Kirby Kirby's Craven, like Craven K R A V E N, the, uh, the yeah, Spider Man villain. It's very funny. Uh, and, then and then finally, and then we'll do the uh, best the top five of the year. Well, we're and doing we, I, we have the individual top fives, right? You got your top fives. Uh, we usually do a top five, right? Or what, what do you want to do? I this don't is know. this I'll, is I'll like have to I, pick, I'll I have, have to come up with some games while we while we do. I this. have a juicy five. 
Okay, good. I'll 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 think of five. I'll do my games. juicy five, and then you do your juicy five. Just tell me what five games released this year. Okay. Um, so first category is best game that didn't release this year, and I see you have Undernight Imbirth. Yes. Gunfire Reborn. Yes. Blaze Blue Central Fiction. Just important to say that it, ha- it got rollback. Grime. Grime. Half Life. Alex. Dead Cells. Terraria and Cyrillim Ultimate. I think this is a good little list of games that were somewhat... I mean, I I think Grime, I I, I, I was playing a little bit of it. I, I'm ready to take it right off this list. Um, and there it goes. Ooh, ouch. Look at it, yeah, yeah. I mean, you I, can, you can leave it on. It's okay. No, it's it got dumpstered. It's in the dumpster. Oh. Um, but but uh, Grime is a good, like, Metroid... I, I want to spend a little bit more time with it. It's like... Uh, but, uh, it's, it's a pretty good Metroidvania kind of game and it got a, a major update and in, uh, recently. So that's why it kind of gets the, uh, best games that didn't release this year. Um, so first, the first one you mentioned was Undernight Inbirth, uh, Unic, specifically Uniclear, which is, um, like un- the, the, the names of these games are horrible. Um, they're like, so for, they're even more horrible when you realize that, in birth sounds really weird, but it's it's actually a mistranslation. It's supposed to be undernight inverse, but the but the uh, localization team I guess didn't check. So mm. undernight in birth, um, cl- it's like clear. Um, it, it, it's a it's a really and there's a bunch of like exe clear or something like that. There's a bunch of weird we things. We don't have to get into. We don't have to it. get into it. But undernight uh, uniclear um, is an anime fighting game. Uh, that I played in uh, a, a fair amount this year that I, I really love. And I ended up, I, I, I played a lot of it. And I think it's like, it kind of skyrocketed. Like I, like, I love fighting games a lot. And we talk about fighting games a lot. It kind of skyrocketed up my favorite fighting game franchises. Like, it, it, I want a, I want a new Uniclear, uh, un, like Uniel or Undernight game. And I want it to be popular. Um, I, I want one with rollback, uh, really badly. Uh, this is like a really fantastic franchise that deserves more attention. Um, I think, uh, a a lot of, it's, it's a lot of fighting game players, like secret favorite fighting game, even the be, and one of the big problems why it's not more popular is that, that, uh, the, the net code, it is like delay based. But why I like it so much, uh, there's there's a bunch of different reasons. It's a good kind of mix of that. Like I, I think that that we have been starting to see um, a, a mix of the street Street Fighter blood and the anime blood, um, kind of games where they're they're a little bit of both. So Undernight Inbirth is a little bit more. Uh, a Uniclear is is a little bit more footsies based of an anime game, a little bit like lower damage, shorter combos, but it has that anime kind of style where the characters are like super super cool and super unique. Like the the, the characters don't tr- translate over at all. Like you just have these crazy characters that have like it. It reminds me a lot of Blaze Blue in that way without a drive button. That um uh like the the character is so incredibly unique that there's like multiple kind of gimmicks that you see it and you think like oh my god I would really want to play this character because they have this kind of cool ability that no one else has. And I think one of my also, also one of my absolute favorite mechanics in a fighting game is the grid system. I talked a little about this when I when I started playing it this year. Um but the grid system is 
this this mechanic where when you're moving forward or attacking, you build, uh, you you kind of push this. There's this like grid battle on the bottom. This battle for the grid. That was my joke. That was that's uh, that was it's the still good. Uh, you kind of like move this this uh this meter up on the bottom, and 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 in intervals of like twenty seconds, it 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 the game checks to see who has the most meter, and. If you're blocking a lot, as you're blocking, you start to build even more and more. So it's this cool thing uh, the, the, the that has like all these different like uh, mechanics and functions. Very, it is very complicated. Like I don't know if I'm doing a good job explaining it, but yeah, as you're moving forward and being offensive, you build it. If you're the longer you're blocking, the more you'll build it up, almost like a reverse. Um, uh, uh, what's the Guilty Gear tension? Not tension. Um, not tension risk yeah risk it's almost like a reverse risk of like as you're blocking more and then yeah two there's a couple different cool things one you can cash out if you think you're gonna lose the the that cycle for the grid you can cash it out as meter to to help you out um but also if you win it then your character gets a passive buff and they and these like passive buffs do all these different cool things one of the characters i played the most gets a passive buff where um, on counter hit, it they it freezes the enemy for longer and opens up like different combo routes. So there's just like there's there's some really cool like different things that it does. Like it'll make characters projectiles function differently. It'll like give you access to different a- attacks, and that's really cool. Um, I I really like this fighting game. The characters are there's a there's a character for everyone, and like some fighting games don't do that enough. Like they just have like a really good roster, and I want more for this franchise. Um, so why aren't you playing it? Um, because one of my uh, 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 Galloway, uh, thank you Galloway and Bumper for the use of music we use in the own outro. You can get it off the new album Pop Songs 2022. It's increasingly not new. Or no, it's 2020, right? Um, it's increasingly not new now. It's like three years old. But um, he, uh, uh, as he does, you know, he uh, just began to completely hate it and uh, can't deal with it. He was playing a character that is a very, very technical Yuzu, Yuzuhara, I think, is there Yuzu, Yuzuhara, I believe is the name, um, is a very technical, stance-based, like, really high execution character, and um, uh, I was kind of bopping around and playing different characters, and he hated that, you know, like, if he was, like, losing the game a little bit, like, he hates certain things. Yeah. Uh, have it, you, this is unrelated, but have you seen Yomi Hustle? No. Yomi Hustle is a game that released uh, a couple days ago. It's a turn-based fighting game. It's it's based on Yomi, the card game, right? No. No. It's not. Continue. That's it. I just I, I was curious if you heard about it. I haven't. It's a turn-based fighting game. Um, Gunfire so, Reborn. That could be. I mean, that's a really good one. So Gunfire Reborn, it did get some updates this year. It got some DLC this year. Uh, but the reason why it's on this list is just that... Uh, I played it a bit in 2021, but I've continued to play it through 2022. Um, it might be my favorite roguelite, uh, Bullet Heavens notwithstanding, that I played this year. Uh, yeah, for for those who don't know, I think that we talked about it a bit last year. Also, this game came out in late 2021, and I feel like uh, a couple games that released late 2021 made it onto this list for me. Um, gunfire and Cyrilim. but it's you've played a little bit of it i've played much much more of it it is a uh roguelite that kind of has like borderlands vibes of 
you're picking up weapons that have random modifiers and you're playing as one of like i don't know how many characters at this point maybe like seven different characters that have um uh different talent trees and towards the end of the game uh you just have these like really broken busted powerful synergies that make you just feel like so insanely strong and it, it just has like a nice ramp to it like i think uh border like games like borderlands and even games like path of exile it's like really fun to build up a character and to like see them come to fruition and like sort of see your plans realized uh by the end of it and in gunfire you get that whole experience in like a 30 minute to one hour run and and i just think that that's that's really effective and it, it's interesting that this is a novel idea it's interesting that this is the only one of these that I really know about. Maybe, maybe there's more Yeah, straight more up, like, first-person shooter roguelike is not really a yeah. common genre. Or, or specifically, I know that those are out there, but also just the fact that it's got, like, these Borderlands guns with, like, affixes, and there's, like, legendary variants and things like that. Uh, so it, it's just a really impressive game. I think that it's it's really... It's, it's a nice co-op, too. And, and it also feels not very like um, it's not like a really punishing game. I feel like for a shooter, it's pretty like easy to play. Like it's pretty like I, I kind of wish that this is a game that um, more people played. Like I think that it would be fun maybe to like co-op this with like Galloway or maybe even like Galloway and Jess or something like that. Yeah, it, it, it um, would be like this would be like a really fantastic. This is like sort of of that vein of game that I'm always kind of looking for um, that I, I always like kind of ascribe to destiny which is like maybe not destiny and that's like a windy down kind of game like it's too late to play valorant we're kind of burnt out but like there's some like let's do something together that we can like actually talk during and have a little bit more fun and not be like quite as focused um and i think this would this would be a, a really good one of those it's important to say like I think one thing that's really important in a roguelike is those is that moment to moment and gunfire does that fantastically. Like the, the, the shooting does feel great. The movement feels great. And like you said, um, it really goes heavy on that whole build thing. You do get like all those crazy synergies. You get like, you know, like synergies where you, you, your fire explodes or whatever and then you have a grenade your character has a grenade that throws fire and now you have a fire gun that puts on burns so like it's all these things kind of working together at once in really cool ways yeah yeah gunfire is definitely a nice pick then we've got blaze blue central fiction one of your favorite so, fighting games on the list too yeah, this my, this my, did get rollback actually probably my my single favorite fighting game ever uh, got rollback this year. Uh, community still not very big for it, uh, but the rollback in this game feels great. Uh, this is sort of like the. It, it's weird because I, I feel like Blaze Blue has always been like a very iterative game, where every game that they would release, they would like pile in more characters, more, like more abilities on each character. <sighs> Do that, young. Yeah modes all sorts of trials stuff like that so and central fiction is really like the end of that where it's like an extremely comprehensive roster like really deep mechanics it, it's just like the most anime fighting game it is it just has like the most going on like really complex complicated hard to play characters um that are really rewarding and 
I, I love these games where every time that you're fighting a new character, it really feels very different. And like learning the matchups, it's, and, and again, like, I mean, you said this about Uniclear, but I feel like it's even stronger in Blaze Blue of like, every character has like this absolute identity uh, that, and they don't exist in other games. Like there's a, the, what, nine, the, the witch in this yeah, game. Yeah, an invoker. She has like the invoker style thing where she has, her light, medium, and heavy buttons are different elements, and she stacks them together, and then does like an invoking button. Um, so she gets to she gets access to like a bunch of different abilities, um, crazy movement. Her regular dash is like a, a, a teleport. Um, so she's like obviously ridiculously unique. Um, you've got like basic stuff like grapplers that magnetize people. You've got like cooler stuff like a, a butler that turns into a wolf, um, puppet characters, uh, multiple different puppet characters. Uh, yeah. they're, My they're... favorite character is Kokonoe, which is the character that uh, can put magnets on the field that uh, you start to move towards, and then you could push your drive button to detonate them, and then it pushes people out. So you could do all sorts of things, like if people are trying to zone you, you could put like a magnet behind them and like push them into you and grab them, suck people into projectiles, uh, and just the combos with that are are crazy. Yeah, um, it, it's just cool because it like it puts it up front the uniqueness in the drive button, which is really cool um, idea. It, it makes it so that the characters like look, feel, and play so differently um, because of that drive button. And it it like it it is really one of the better fighting games of all time. It's another one where where like I I hope that there's more Blaze Blue in the future. I, there might not be, but I would love to see a blaze blue in the vein of strive i would love to see a you want to see a reset a, a really good looking you know 3d full-on arxis um uh uh amazing like new, new blaze blue that that um has a little bit more that's a, a tiny bit less anime but still has that drive button i would like absolutely go crazy for that i could see it i could see it happening um half-life alex is on this list uh because I got a VR headset. So it made sense to put what I think people would consider to be the premier theme index, valve index, whatever it is uh, on this list. You know, Metacritic rating of 93. Uh, just a really strong VR game. Uh, it is exactly what it sounds like, which is it is a full Half-Life game in VR. Uh, it is scary. It is extremely cinematic. It feels really crazy, like moving through the city and having like these giant machines like walking over you. Uh, just like the visuals, the sound design, everything about this game is exactly what you would want from a VR game. The, the only challenge uh, in playing this game is that, uh, and, and maybe other people don't feel this way, but it is so intense. Oh, you like, just have you to take, so, you have to take like, breaks in it and immersive that you kind of have to take breaks and but yeah just like picking things up like reloading the guns like throwing like bottles to distract people like it's so cool um the only game that i think might be cooler for vr and i, I didn't even get to play it yet actually is a uh, hitman but but the the way that vr feels in this game is just it is so it is so impressive it it, I and I, I if it, I feel like it might be the only legitimate VR game out there that is like this is a fully fledged game that you only get on VR. 
and yeah, I think that you could play this game without VR. Like, I think that that's an option. Uh, I think that you're doing it a disservice if you're if you're playing it that way. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like if more games like Half-Life Alex uh, would release, then VR would be more popular. And it, it's the kind of thing of like, uh, maybe the ball's in Sony's court, but I feel like it's one of these cases of like, a rising tide lifts all ships. Like, if some studios would just come out and make some VR games, they'd sell more headsets, and then they'd make more, they'd sell more copies of the games. Sure, like, it, it, it is a problem because, like we've talked before, I, I I do feel like a lot of VR games are they're so fun, but they're um they're they're more proof of concept than anything else. Yeah, or they're smaller, like they have they're smaller concept things like uh, Beat Saber or uh, Pistol Whip, which we'll we'll talk about later. Uh, so that's Half Life, Alex. Next, we have Dead Cells, and Dead Cells is going to come up over and over uh, in this list because they kept updating it this year. Yeah, a lot of updates. So for a Dead lot Cells. of updates, a lot of DLC, but a lot of a lot of free stuff too. And I feel like Dead Cells uh, stands next to Hades um, in terms of like best gameplay in a roguelite. Like, it, it, it's easy to forget that Dead Cells is is uh as extremely popular as it is like on steam it has over a hundred thousand reviews with a overwhelmingly positive 97 percent positive and i'm going to talk about this game more when we get to uh best ongoing but just suffice to say uh dead cells still really strong in 2022 uh really really excited for the next dlc that's coming out which is uh, Return to Castlevania, which will definitely be cool because they got the Castlevania license. Like, that's sick. That's pretty crazy. Terraria. Didn't they, is this the year that they had their final update or no? <laughs> their final, final, final update. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they say that a lot. They keep saying it's the final update. I really, honestly, as much as I love Terraria, which is a lot, I've played, I've played Terraria so much. Um, I wish they would just stop it. Like, stop making Terraria. Go make another game. Like, I I don't know what it is. Like, I I feel like the market is too saturated for them to keep making Terraria. Terraria, I I think it might be one of the one of the not the best selling games on Steam, but like has sold the most copies because it is so affordable. I think that it's probably a lot, and it and it's just been out for so long. Terraria at this point is an 11, almost 12 year old game. But yeah, I remember you know, when it came I, out, it came out when you lived like multiple houses ago, you lived in your regular childhood house, right? When I, uh, Terraria came out when I was in, um, when High I was school? going to Stony Brook oh. for college. Yeah. Ridiculous. I remember before it came out, I watched, I was watching videos of Total Biscuit playing, like uh, unreleased alpha footage of it, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Like I was so excited that I that I like played a pirated alpha version of it that was like all fucked up. That reminds uh, me that this podcast started, I think, in um, 2013, uh, February of 2013. That was the first one we put up. Ten year anniversary. It's baby. a ten year anniversary. What's older is the podcast or Terraria? I think it's Terraria. Right? Terraria. Yeah. Terraria by two years. Um. So this year, I think the thing that made it, that makes it get on this list is that T-Mod Loader, uh, which is the Terraria mod interface, released on Steam, which is fucking crazy. I do see you playing a lot of T-Mod Loader. 
Yeah, I played uh, 455 hours of Team Odd Loader this year. That's that's a lot. I gotta look at my. I like. I almost want to look at my my Steam thing. I just went through it, and it was like crazy strive. It was like a lot of strive. It's you you know the you know the the comic that's like the fortune teller who's like I see you I forget what it is it's like I I see you sitting there because people reuse it so much that I forget the original one but it's like it's like oh I, in your future I see you with this oh that's a whole lot of this and the guy is like sweating it's like it really does feel like in your future I see you playing strive that's a whole lot of strive and so Keymod Loader is is the modding interface and the reason why that's such a big deal is because Terraria has like one of the biggest modding scenes of any game, maybe uh, dwarfed by Minecraft and, and a few others, but uh, like entire, like double, triple the size content of Terraria. So I think the big ones are the Calamity mod and the um, Thorium mod are, are the two big ones uh, that I think a lot of people, myself included, got to experience this year just because of T-Mod Loader coming to Steam. But uh, that was... Uh, for me, it was surprising. Maybe it's because I don't follow the scene, but I I was just really uh, blown away by that. So with Thorium and with Calamity available, it's the the game is just like endless. It is it is insane. Like thousands of new weapons, like different types of class archetypes, biomes. You know, hundreds of bosses available to you. Uh, Terraria, I think. It is easy to call it one of the greatest games of all time. And I think that it only becomes better when you introduce some of the best mods. Obviously, you could introduce some real shitty mods to this game. Uh, some people are kind of like... What is a real... Know, when you as, say real shitty mod, what do you mean? Like furry mods or like... What, what, do, you, what do you even mean by that? Well, I just are mean that like... you can... You could put anything like... Like uh, there's... Right now, there's 300, 770 mods uh, available on uh, the T-Mod Loader on Steam. I, I feel like some of them, like one of the, here's one that just calls more shimmer. This mod turns all liquids into shimmer. Like, I don't know what that even means. Whiffy's mod. This is a mod I am experimenting on doing whatever I feel. Yeah, nice. Well, Whiffy. It's Whiffy's mod. It's Whiffy's mod, so he can does whatever he feel. Or, or she, or he, or they. Let's see, this mod is called Help Me. This is an alpha version. This is my first mod, so please leave a comment to what I should do, change, and make, so have fun. Includes two new swords, one new gun, one new ore, not placeable, one new bar, one new accessory. Like, there's just plenty of stuff that's, like, garbage. So you got to know what you're getting into is all when you do the modding. But it's easy to figure out which mods are the best ones. I don't, with these mods sound pretty cool, though. With you don't think mod, with these mods sound pretty cool? I've seen better. He do he do whatever he want. It, it, they, it, they're mod. You know, but then you've got the calamity mod. Twenty-seven bosses, twelve mini bosses, over a hundred new enemies, five new NPCs, five new biomes, uh, a new playable class, eighteen hundred items, seven hundred weapon, hundred blocks, two hundred pieces of furniture, uh, two full difficulty settings above expert, fifty new mechanics, thirty new recipes. Like recipes. that's a lot of shit. It's a lot of recipes. All right. Uh, Terraria still going strong. Still it's going been, strong it was a great after all year these for years. Terraria. Older than the podcast. Older than the podcast. The only game we're going to discuss that's older than the podcast, probably. Uh, Which is pretty that's... crazy. I mean, like, like good for it to be making this list of best game that didn't release this year 
when it's when it's that old, you know? Yeah. I wish that I had played enough Apex Legends to put Apex on the list, but it is um I, I don't like playing it with randoms. I think it's my least favorite shooter to play with randoms. Yeah, why why they just go everywhere and you can't focus? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much that. I, I feel like it is more team focused than any other game. Even then, which like, is which is a weird thing to say when to it's say, right, and it's only three people. Well, I guess maybe some of that is how small the teams are, and that it's really hard to do things. It's not even it's not a super fast time to kill. So, um, so like it, if a team of three fighting one person is usually going to do pretty good, you know, like it's going to be yeah, hard but for is, one person to. But it's also such a skill intensive game that when you watch streamers play it, who are like really good at the game, and they are like one v threeing, and it is like, it's a spectacle. Like, I think that it is... Spectacle uh, is the word of the day. It's a game that has more agency in it than any other shooter. Uh, and, and yeah, that that I really appreciate about it. Uh, Cyril M Ultimate. So I talked about this game um, on the 2021 GOATI list uh, as a game that I couldn't discuss because it came out at the very, very end of December of 2021. And essentially, I said, like, I didn't have enough time to really check it out. But having played Serial M Ultimate, um, that's a good game. So it is a it is a cross between the best way to say it would be like a Pokemon meets Path of Exile, where you are choosing like a class. Uh, there's like a ton of different classes like Defiler, Crusader, Warlock, uh, Spellslinger, whatever. Uh, and then the classes are giving you perks uh, as you level up, and you also are collecting monsters. And the monsters that you're collecting are uh, interacting with your perks in different ways because every monster in the game, and there's over a thousand of them, I think there's over 1,200 of them, uh, have unique abilities. They like something that only this monster does. So there will be a class like Defiler that's built around debuffs that's like every. For every debuff an enemy has on it, they take 15% more damage. And then you might find a monster that's like, uh, this monster poisons two enemies at the start of battle. Or another one that's like, every time this monster attacks, it also bleeds the enemy. So you start uh, combining a roster. You're carrying six creatures with you, and then you have all of your passive perks. And you're essentially just like making... Uh, almost like a Rube Goldberg machine. You're just making like the, this, this formula, this concoction uh, that is just going to like break the game, except the game doesn't let you break it because the game like ramps up. It like the, the game is very aware of how powerful you can become and of how like broken and busted the mechanics can be. And it's balanced around that. So you're really encouraged to, to break the game, to manipulate it, to do these, to come up with these unrealistic combos because the game is going to meet you there. And uh, I, I think that that's really impressive. Uh, the only thing, and if that sounds like a, like a dream game to you, then definitely check it out. I think the only thing about this game that one might consider off-putting is the graphics. Like it is a very, um, it's, a, it's in the 16-bit style. It's very bare bones. Uh, in terms of how it looks. This game is a, uh, a moving spreadsheet game. Like, it is very much a spreadsheet, but the classes, the monsters are so cool. Like, seeing a monster that you've never seen before and, like, discovering what its unique ability is is so awesome. 
it's crazy that they came up with like this many unique abilities. Uh, just really impressive. The end game, it pretty much goes on forever. Like they continue to like drip feed new monsters to you, uh, procedurally generated dungeons, uh, extremely difficult boss encounters. There's uh, all of these different factions that you can work with. It, it it's 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 just got everything in it. it. It's just all the way there. If you're a fan of like turn-based RPGs, like a if if you like the idea of Pokemon but you hate Pokemon gameplay, you think it's shit. Check this out. If you like Path of Exile and you want like uh, something a little bit more mellow, check this out. I think it's a great game. Nice. I just I'm looking at this right now. We're we're 30 minutes into this podcast and we're not even out of the first. Um, What's your pick? My pick would be Uniclear. I I feel like I really loved Uniclear. Um, I had a great time with it. Uh, uh, I, I I like I said like I think it's one of the better. Um, it's the only one you put on this list. Uh, yeah, well, it's, a, it's an awesome fighting game. Point. It's and I really want more uh, Uniclear. For me, it's probably I I think it's Serulum Ultimate. I think that that game uh, deserves its due uh, because it didn't get any recognition at the end of last year. Didn't you give it that, the p- best Pokemon game? Uh, I don't know. I know Pokemon Snap was on that list. Pokemon Snap uh, is a good Pokemon. I'll have game. to see, but but Serulum Ultimate definitely. Uh, deserving of of praise definitely worth checking out um yeah that's my pick serum ultimate now for a category i think we can go through a little bit quicker i guess um the best bullet heavens uh kind of spawned by vampire survivors which is the first one on here uh 20 minutes till dawn bone razor minions brotato soulstone survivors spellbook demon slayers and spirit hunters infinite horde Let's let's go through real quick and talk a little bit about what makes these games different. Yeah, so so this is a these are reverse uh, bullet hells that, that it's popularized by uh, vampire survivors. Usually, you are walking around kind of on this infinite plane with a timer. Uh, you know, it's twenty minutes for twenty minutes till dawn. I think it's is it thirty minutes for vampire survivors or twenty minutes? Yeah. Um, uh, and usually it's like a, a it's it's they're roguelike games where you're trying to get out of control. Um, uh, you're picking they, a lot of them follow a similar style where you're picking up passives and actives. And uh, there's one of the big differences between them are whether or not you can actually interact. Usually you're kind of walking and stuff is, you know, like fire is coming out of you. Bats are coming out of you. Um, you're throwing flowers and axes and garlic is radiating from you and all this kind of stuff. And usually the whole thing that got this genre kind of out of control is that you at some point become this like monster. Um, the, the goal is to have everything synergizing to the point where things are coming onto screen and they're just evaporating. Um, and you that you're having all the these things. Hell. You are the bullet hell. Um, Vampire Survivors, like I said, is one of the first ones of these, but it's one of the best ones of these. Uh, it spawned this kind of genre for a reason. Um, it's completely passive. Uh, there are characters, there's a lot of different stages that kind of work slightly differently. There's a lot of different characters. The characters have base stats and they, and they have a starting weapon, um, uh, and... Uh, some maybe some passives and uh, there's a, there's ridiculous amount of replayability. Uh, there's usually you're usually like 
upgrading something passively about the character and in this one like like you know there's one of the craziest upgrades you get it's a duplicator that starts out duplicating anything that you get and um it it is a it is not the best looking game it is a very pixely game um uh very i think it looks great very retro i think think it looks terrific but one of the things that works so well for it is that um it, it runs fantastically it runs fantastically on steam deck and you do get to the point uh, in the the game where like there are just like thousands of enemies on screen that are just dying the second that they walk on screen as you're just like evaporating um, everything. Uh, this is one, this is one thing that I think makes this one unique over the other ones is that it has uh, really large levels uh, and it has a lot of secrets. Like I think the secrets are are the the key thing in Vampire Survivors that makes it different from the other games. Uh, there's a, a large list of levels. Uh, I don't know how far you got. Some of the levels get very fucking weird. Yeah. There's that, there's like that, like there's the grass level, like the, that you're in a field and there's all these, like, have you, did you ever get to the side scrolling level where you can't kill anything and you just have to run? No, that's weird. Yeah. There, the vampire survivors also, uh, is bigger and longer than it looks like beating a level. Uh, is not the end of the level. It's you haven't really cleared a level until you've killed the Grim Reaper. Like it is crazy game, and it deserved to spawn these games. Twenty minutes till dawn was my first of these. Um, it was kind of like uh, I got the Steam Deck and I was looking for games that I'd want to play on it, and this game really stuck for me. This is a more active version of these. You're picking a character, right, and a starting weapon, I believe. And uh, uh, getting the, the upgrades. Do they come with a weapon? No, I thought. I think that the, I think you pick a weapon and a character. Um, and there's and like though so um, that that's a good and bad thing. Um, I think that a lot of the synergy starts out right away, and it also makes it so that they're that runs can quickly um, can can feel a little bit samey over time because you 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 know you're starting out with the character and you're starting out with your weapon and there's already kind of like routes that you would want to go because of the character and, and things you'd want to specialize in because of the characters and the weapons. Um, but like I said, it's a, it's a lot more active than other games. You are like shooting and reloading, um, uh, which, which in the, a lot of these other games you, you don't do. Um, it's got, it's got a cool, um, very striking art style. It's um, like completely like black and white, but with red um, with like hints of red. Uh, and, I would say that that art style sometimes works against it because yeah, out of all the of these, readability is a little tricky. Sure, out of all these, it definitely has the most readability problems. Issues, um, yeah. But it's been getting it's been getting good updates, and uh, I w- I'm happy that this was the first one. I kind of like uh, it, it's getting updates, but I kind of played it to what I sort of consider at least kind of completion, where I unlocked every character and every weapon and uh, got to see a lot of different. Um, things that the game has to offer also it doesn't have like levels that kind of has just one level it's like a this like it's just regular kind of like black plane with um trees that are like monster trees that have eyes um and uh uh this but this is a good one of these bone razor minions you told me about and it's very very unique as far as yeah these this games is a go. fun one this is a fun one yeah so you are a Necromancer. necromancer there are different classes of necromancers uh but it is sort of like a, an arena survival game so it takes place in like a customizable arena that you sort of modify to give different effects we talked about this a bit on the 
uh, run through podcast. But yeah, I think the thing that makes this one different is uh, the way that you can modify the enemy types by selecting the different thing, the different, uh, you sort of like toggle on different enemies in like the mausoleum, uh, the, the classes and the way that you actually like play the game since it's like necromancy, it's very indirect. So this is, this is, I think maybe the most passive of all of these games. Uh, but it also has like a, it's got a really neat and unique art style. Um, and it's getting updates literally every, every Monday. Yeah. The updates are insane. Update. The updates are, are really insane. I, I, I recently came back to this. I mean, it is very passive, You but, but there, there's some cool things that you can do. Like, I guess the main thing you could do is you have an invincible dash and you can also charge up, uh, the dash to be a, like, but it makes you stand still. But then if you charge up to a certain amount, you can dash, um, infinitely in uh, one of the cardinal directions. Um, obviously, like we said, it's an arena game, so like you can't dash that far. But it's like you're completely in, you're completely invincible as you're doing. So you can go to the other side of the map. Um, it is just like you're spawning all these minions and um, having your minions do the work while you're just running away. Uh, but so so like you said, it is interesting because you are not a the death isn't coming from you you are not like the like enemies aren't like exploding around you because you're doing so much stuff it's you're having all these minions walking around attacking the minions attacking the enemies that are spawning while you're just trying to dodge them like you yourself don't really have uh agency um but there's also but there's some readability issues of, in this game <laughs> yeah there's a lot of readability issues in this game as well because the art style is very like chunk it's it's not chunky pixel but like it's very pixelated and your minions can get, like a lot you're spawning a lot of minions the enemy there's a lot of enemies on the the, the screen definitely a yep. lot of times where it's like can look really really messy i wish that there was a little bit of like almost like a maybe like a color blindy mode where you could your minions could be like a like just like bright yellow or something so i could kind of see them and wh what they're doing in the, in the mess of things um i didn't yeah. play brotato I played a lot of Brotato because Brotato is maybe uh, one of the best one of these that performs on the Steam Deck. Uh, so Brotato, uh, it's 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 a little bit different from a lot of these games because uh, the combat takes place over 20 rounds, and every round is about a minute long. So you'll fight enemies. So you start off the game by collect, by choosing a class. The class selection starts out really small, and then uh, Eventually, you'll have access to like three dozen classes, uh, and the classes will be like uh, this one's a, a brawler who can't pick ranged weapons, but they get extra bonus unarmed damage. Or there'll be a character that's like an engineer where they'll deal bonus damage with turrets, but uh, less damage with other things. Uh, and some of them really interesting. One of them is a a one armed character. Uh, so they can only choose one weapon, whereas every other character can choose six. Um, so once you choose your character, you choose your starting weapon, you are going in there. And, and this game kind of plays like a cross between a bullet hell game and a, like a team fight tactics game, uh, where between rounds you're drafting weapons and equipment based on the gold that you picked up in the last round. As you combine certain... Uh, weapons together you get access to passive so it's like oh if you have three or four explosion weapons you get this additional effect or 
you could go for like three explosion weapons and three medieval weapons and then you know you'll have access to these passives so this is like a twin stick shooter this is very active uh it's not well actually i mean the the weapons auto fire but you you aim okay yeah so a, lot, like a, a lot of the ones that are a little bit more active fighter. you do that yeah um and it, it's it's just really good like every time that you uh finish a run you feel like you got like a million new things because it'll be like all right now this weapon's going to appear because you killed like 200 of these types of enemies uh you got to a hundred percent additional attack speed on your build so we're giving you access to the assassin character um and and it's just like a really nice uh like dopamine of like you you you're killing all of these enemies and you're getting all of these unlocks and there's so many unlocks uh, that it's just really satisfying. And again, you know, it's like a $5 game. Uh, it it looks like a Newgrounds game. I, will I don't say love that. the look of it. I got to be honest. It looks like a Newgrounds game. Exactly. It exactly looks like a Newgrounds game. Uh, so if that is off-putting to you, then then don't play it. But for pure gameplay, it is it is so enjoyable. It's a great podcast game. Uh, one of one of the better ones of these for I mean they're all great podcast games. Uh but yeah, this one is, it's really satisfying um, and it's its really easy and digestible to play in short bursts good on Steam Deck. Uh, Soulstone Survivors is a, another fantastic one of these. They're, these are all fantastic. Um, none of them are bad. Um, Soulstone Survivors is a 3D-ish one, but it's still like, it's an isometric, still works like twin sticky the way that the, a lot of these other ones do. Um, you are aiming. Um, that is like Ooh. one of the more... This is a little bit more active of active of a game. Um, there's a dash um, and an invincible dash, and uh, there is a lot of aiming kind of things. Soulstone Survivors, I think, what kind of sets it apart, other than its um, its look, it's the only one of these that I'm looking at right now that is 3D that has like 3D elements to it. Um, it, it one thing that really really sets this apart is. I feel like the classes are wild in Soulstone Survivors. They are really cool takes on common MMO trope classes. Um, you start out with some basic stuff, just like knights and mages. You get to like death knights and uh, engineers and hunters and stuff like that. There's some really cool uh, paladins takes on that. Um, the w one thing that makes the characters like really different is that they have. Um, they, they, they have, like, access to different uh, of the abilities. Um, none of the abilities are active. You get, like, a kind of like a bar of abilities that you can slot in and lots of um, passives. But, but the different heroes kind of have... will get different options when they're choosing their attacks. Um, and they also have, uh, uh, like, they'll have, like, yeah, two they, completely they draft from unique... Yeah, like, they, they draft from different pools, right? So, yeah. uh, so the, the, like, barbarian class will draft from, like, a... Uh, melee like a pool. swing like a melee or like a swing pool or so so if like you're that. so if you're playing like the warrior the paladin you might see similar ones but then like i said before like there'll be like two a couple specialized ones where the paladin will have like holy aura rays or something that the other and like buff or like defensive ones stuff like that yeah, yeah that the other ones won't see um this game, I think, is one of the most ongoing of these, where there seems to be a lot that's not done yet. Um, this is a, definitely one of those uh, very early accessy games. Um, and this one, like when I played it, it felt like the most uh, kind of like underbaked. Yeah, in a way. 
Yeah, it really does where it feels like there's not a lot of you can really quickly see a lot of it and there's not a lot the of The levels don't have a lot going on. The level design in this game is uh pretty pretty poor. And maybe that's not the point. But it, it's weird to have like there there's like five different levels, but there's no real difference between the levels. Uh the enemy design in this game especially is pretty bad. Uh, where the enemies don't really feel like they're doing anything very interesting. Um, I, I, one thing that I do really like about it, though, it, uh, it, it bears mentioning that like this is the most readable of all these. Um, the the a lot of the bosses are doing MMO style telegraphs, where there is like that you know the red aura on the ground There's, showing you. Yeah, a lot of this game is uh, stand outside the red circle. Yeah, but sure. it, but it, what that does obviously is it makes the game extremely extremely readable. Um, the other thing that I would say that, like, to this game's credit is it has, the it has like, some of the most of the synergy stuff that I think we crave um, out of these, that I crave out of these. Um, Bone Razor Minions, one thing that I, one big negative I would say on it is that uh, you're just kind of getting cool minion upgrades, but there's nothing in the game yet that, that really, like, makes it so that there's a synergy. Um, this game is, like, nuts about synergy. Like, this game, the passive, everything has lots of tags. So, like, you're getting, your character swings in a circle and deals damage, right? So the, the, the tags will be, like, melee, AoE, cleave, uh, you know, like, time-based or whatever. Um, and uh, the passive upgrades you're getting will, will be, like, you know, your melee attacks are larger, your AoE is larger, your melee attacks bleed, your melee attacks cause like knockback like everything yeah. so, is gonna is going crazy in this game and, with synergy and, and i i agree with you on that but i also think that a lot of the synergies are very generic where it's essentially it is essentially just like what you said where it's just like uh x thing does y more damage or x thing is larger there's a lot of and, cool th i think there's a lot of cool things of like and your... then there's like a million different types of like status debuffs and then it just has like this status debuff will trigger this status debuff. And then you kind of like work those off each other. But the status debuffs they have in the game don't feel meaningfully different in a lot of cases, I feel. I don't know. I, I do I do feel like there's a lot of like <laughs> I, I've had things where I've I remember I had a run where it was like all poison based and then it made it so that my poison procced fire, but then it made it but then I had another passive where fire slowed people. Um so I like I I think that there was some kind of cool differences of like the one debuff proccing another debuff that does something you know like that that kind of I I do feel like the game just it has a good it has a good feeling but I, but I do agree with you that it's that it's it feels pretty underbaked. Um, Spellbook yeah. Demon Slayers came out in, in November of 2022, it's, and it's still going on. Like this is another one of these work in progress. These are all work in progress. Uh, but Spellbreak Demon Slayers, I mean, Spellbook Demon Slayers, it feels like ready to go. Like, it feels like good. It feels comprehensive. Um, in terms of what it is, it's kind of a middle ground between a couple of these different ones where uh, the game takes place in, like, a large arena. Uh, it's got a really good look. This game looks great. It's got, like, a really nice style to it. Um, and if you're looking for, like, synergies and things like that, I think that y'all y'all also find that here. Uh so one thing that I think is really cool about this one, the thing that makes it stand out is that in addition, like this is a game where like you're leveling up, you're gaining access to new passives, you're gaining access to new spells. Some of them uh, will work with each other where you might get a passive that's like uh, all of your attacks deal 20% uh, less damage, but uh, shoot 50% more projectiles. 
that's a cool passive. Like that's the kind of stuff that you want to see. And then you're finding a like a like a like a rocket launcher ability, right? That shoots one big projectile that deals like a lot of damage. Uh, and that's it. But once you, if you're shooting five of those rockets, like that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, and and those are the types of synergies you're getting uh, in this game. And there's also some really cool stuff. There are, uh, it's essentially like uh, the you're getting spell books, and the spell books are your damage. But some of it is forbidden magic, uh, which carries like like they're very high risk, high reward, powerful spells that all come with some sort of drawback. Um, so I think that those are like the key features of this game. I think that this is the one that is, it's the best one of these that is currently flying under the radar, I would say. This also uh, has a neat little uh, homage to Path of Exile, uh, which is it has the headhunter ability sometimes where you can uh, steal the passives off of mini bosses, which is really neat. And tell me about Spirit Hunters. This is the Infinite Horde. This is the ugly one, I believe. Yeah, we talked about this one a bunch already. Um, the the thing that makes this one unique is that it has a, uh, a sphere grid, a, a Final Fantasy X, a Path of Exile skill tree where you're sort of going across it to unlock new characters, to upgrade new abilities, to unlock new maps, and it all takes place on one grid. And I think that this is a game that keeps getting better every time that I play it. Every time they update it, uh, it's a little bit better than the last time they've updated it as recently as last week. So they're still, they're still making it happen. They've got so much new stuff coming out. They've got like 15 new abilities in the works. They're, they're making it happen with this. A lot uh, of these games have fantastic dev teams. Yeah, they do. I guess these games are, maybe it's unfair to say, but maybe these are easy to develop. I don't know. Well, they, they, a lot of them, they, they look more basic, right? Mm-hmm. They look pretty basic um the the most of these we've said are um very simplistic pixel style games so they they probably are very easy to develop um yeah but uh so uh pick one uh you know this is this is a little bit difficult but i guess if i have to say one as much as i want it to be soulstone survivors i think it's bone razor minions it's definitely not perfect by far but it's the one that i like i played the most It, it really hooked me um a lot and uh, I, I like I I want more of it. I'm I'm glad that they're doing such a good job updating it, and I do love the idea of just like all these minions running around. It, it's very unique in that like the uh, the way the arena works, and it's just it's really fun. Like it's just a game that like yeah. I really wanted to play more and more of. Um, um, it's a bit of a boring choice, but I gotta go with Vampire Survivors. For me, it's just uh, finding all those secrets, seeing all the weird stuff. Um, the game being deceptively large, you getting to overcome challenges that at first would seem impossible, like killing the like killing the the Reaper at the end of the stage. Once you're able to do it, there, I, I think that it's just the best one. It's it, an interesting note about this game is that before they worked on this, the developer of Vampire Survivors uh, designed uh, uh, slot machines for casinos. Yeah. I mean, so you, you can really see, see where, where that sort of like his, his like philosophy, uh, of that comes into play here with vampire survivors. And I, I just think it's the best one. I mean, it, it spawned the genre. It, it feels a little bit cheap to say that it's the best one, but it, but it is, you know? Yeah. So. It, 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 I mean, it, that's fair. It deserves its spot at the top. Like it, a lot of people are trying to 
come at the king, but you know, the the, the king was a king for a reason. It, the, how are we gonna do? So this is the best Steam Deck game. Um, what makes so the, unfortunately? What makes game, it's so it's, un- it's uh, a little unfair because we because we have a couple. So the thing is, we've already included on this list uh, Bone Razor minions, and what have I done to the formatting here? We've already included Bone Razor minions and Vampire Survivors on this list, uh, and Twenty Minutes Till Dawn. So I don't know if we really want to get into those or if we want to talk about. Some but other they ones. are like the the thing is, these are great bullet heaven games. Are amazing Steam Deck games. They feel great. But let's talk. Of, yeah, but, but, but let's, let's talk about some other games. Yeah, Dead Cells. Uh, uh, Dead we, Cells. You gave a little bit, but we'll talk a little bit more about Dead Cells. Yeah. So on this list, otherwise, we've got Dead Cells, Into the Breach, Anno Mutatinum. Muta- it's really hard to say name. Mutate Mutatinum. That is spelled correctly. It's Mutatinum. I put Dark Cloud Two on this list, and uh, Hack. which I also. Yeah. So Dead Cells, uh, we're going to keep talking about it because uh, there's so many things that it's doing right. There's so many reasons to revisit Dead Cells this year. Um, the The controls are really nice for Steam Deck. I feel like it's a, it's a controller game. You definitely don't want to be playing it without a controller. Um, obviously, because of the way that this game looks, uh, it runs, and that's not to say that it doesn't look great, uh, but it's not like a super high fidelity game, uh, which means that it performs silky smooth. You know, you're getting your 60 frames a second or whatever on, on Steam Deck. This is also a game that's bite-sized. You know, you could go through a level, turn it off, turn it on, you know, like really just easy to like play through a part of a level and then just like turn it off and revisit it. And I think that that's also key to it being a great Steam Deck game. Uh, going on to Into the Breach, I think that you get sort of a, a similar thing from that. So Into the Breach is a turn-based strategy game by the people who made FTL. Uh, it's a grid game it's where you're choosing a, a team of like uh, mechs to combat these big-ass bugs to save the world. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty challenging game, but it's also like a very thinky turn-based game. So I think that it fits really nicely on the Steam Deck. Uh, because again, anything that's turn-based, you kind of can like turn it on, play through a level, turn it off. You could even like, if you can't figure out what to do, you could just turn it off at any time. even if you don't know what your next best move is, and then, you know, so I, I think that for those reasons into the breaches is a really great steam deck game. Uh, it came out with the, the advanced edition this year, um, which it, it, they might have just called it like 1.5 or Into the Breach 2 uh, without charging you for anything new, but uh, pretty much doubled the size of the game. Like, it, it's a really impressive update uh, to an already great game. Um, and uh, Anno Mutationum is a side-scrolling R- kind of RPG. It's not always side-scrolling. I guess one of the action parts are very are, are side-scrolling, and they play a little bit like Devil May, uh, Devil May Cry with like a lot of... You have like ranged attacks and swords, and you're like comboing enemies and knocking them up in the air. Um, the story is really. I, I'm I'm putting on. I guess I put on a lot of games here that I played, and I uh, I don't really take the Steam Deck necessarily out a lot. Uh, I get like uh, like out of the house a lot. It's more like I play games on it that like I I would rather not play on. Uh, uh, like I I just like relax on my bed with them and like watch TV. Um, and I played this game entirely on Steam Deck, and it just looks very good. 
Um, I, I, I also think that games that like run perfectly on Steam Deck are another thing that, that makes this category a little bit for me. Um, and I almost finished this game. I know I was like kind of near the end, but uh, uh, a really good game I really recommend it. It's got a cool art style that's like the world is 3D, the characters are 2D, they're like big, very good looking sprites. Um, so they like, I don't think that like they're, there's like nothing like the, the, I, I appreciate that more than like really chunky short sprites. Um, hack is another game that I played, uh, entirely. I did beat this game. It, it's a, a Metroidvania game, but it has this awesome, another really cool look to it that runs perfectly on, on uh, steam deck. Um, uh, it, it kind of is like very, um, like thief futuristic i mean you let you it's this post-apocalyptic kind of game but your abilities and stuff that are moving you around are like grappling hooks and it's a lot of like you're getting access to a lot of movement options for the metroidvania upgrades um just runs perfectly on on steam deck and like i i think it was always like an easy game to put down and pick up again yeah, I wonder. I wonder if Persona Five. I, I have to imagine that that game runs like perfectly on Steam Deck too. Um, but speaking of JRPGs, I've also put Dark Cloud Two on the list, which is a little bit cheating uh, because it's an emulated game. Uh, but this also gives me an opportunity to talk about like Emu Deck, which I think is really impressive software for the Steam Deck. They've made it so easy to emulate games on the Steam Deck where you could uh, create different like library lists of um, different uh, systems. So you could have like your Game Boy Advance folder, your PlayStation 2 folder, and, and it just fits seamlessly. The art, it, it grabs the artwork for you so that like these games look like any other game that is in your Steam library. And I think that that's really impressive. I have Dark Cloud 2 on this list because Dark Cloud 2, uh, it's one of the greatest games of all time. Uh, hard to find otherwise if you have a ps4 i think that there was a a digital version of this game that released on ps4 but otherwise pretty hard game to play uh to find to play um and it, and it just runs flawlessly on steam deck all of these emulated games uh really impressive results with the steam deck on these games uh perfect integration with uh controls the the controls work well they're the same exact controls that you'd be used to from ps2 with with no additional configuration required works out of the box ready to go uh so i think that that's really impressive dark cloud 2 the dungeons are pretty bite-sized i think being able to turn it on and off whenever you want is really nice uh this game consumes like no battery power whatsoever like these emulators take very little resources to run uh, and for that reason, like, uh, if you are playing the Steam Deck and you're not at home, uh, you're not going to have to worry about charging. So Dark Cloud 2, but more specifically, the emulation on Steam Deck is is really impressive and really worth your time. If you're looking for a way to play some of the old classics, maybe it's Dark Cloud 2, maybe it's Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced or A2. Or, or any of those games, I, I think that you'd be that this is really the best place to play some of those emulated games. And finally, a late addition to the list, Kirby. I've added Chained, Chained Echoes. Echoes. That's what I'm playing right now on Steam Deck. You're playing it on Steam Deck. So I've only just started this game, uh, and then I realized that I have some other games that I want to finish off before I can give this one my undivided attention. But Chained Echoes, originally this was a game that I picked up on Game Pass 
uh, but I liked it enough that I wanted to uh, support the developers a little bit more. So I, I ended up buying the uh, Steam version as well. So are you playing this on, you're playing this on Steam Deck? How are you feeling about it? You found uh, a class emblem. Yes, I found a class emblem. Did you? No. Okay, you're not up there yet. Um, I don't know how I'm feeling about it. I felt a little bit better about it early on, but I, I, I think it's kind of a mess sometimes. The At least like the the dialogue really quickly in the parts that I'm at revol- like devolves into tons of names and places. And I don't know why. I, I think it's because they're introduced too much up front and the way that the, the, the writing because it's kind of like a disservice where it's introducing tons of characters and factions and places. And it's like even more complicated because it gets into like the territories plus like the capital cities, plus like who lives there, plus like complicated um, uh, structure of like the government and military and stuff of like, Oh, this is Lieutenant, this guy. And this is, this, he has reason for this pl- to do this plot or something. And I'm not really like, understanding a lot of it to the i just feel like there was a little bit too much and then and then like quickly it gets to like all these different characters kind of meeting up and i i don't even understand like at the time like right now like what their stories have anything to do with each other and it almost seems a little bit like they're from like different worlds it's like so bizarre like i I don't know so like i'm not the as far as like the the initial like the gameplay of it has a lot of promise i i hope that like i like i hope i keep playing it um the gameplay of it has a lot of promise where um the characters have like pretty cool abilities and um, i love the the drive system in this game yeah there's like, like a the, there's the like bar. an overdrive thing where you're trying to like push you like doing attacks raises the overdrive by a certain amount and there's a like overdrive there's like a you can go over the limit and then take you you want to try and stay put the meter in this certain it's like it's hard to explain it's like there's this bar where uh there's a green place uh uh, during there's a green spot on the spectrum yeah that you're trying to stay at to cause like extra damage and Um, reduce the uh the the np cost like the cost of your abilities if -hmm. you're in that sweet spot um but if you so if you do too much offensive stuff you go you push it past that into like a red zone where you're taking more damage if you uh, uh so you have to like sometimes skip your turn or defend um and there's like uh there's like you'll have like a big team of characters and uh there's like mechanics like your character can get staggered but you can swap out mid turn uh, uh to a different character um so there's a lot of like cool mechanics going on one thing i that is like that I don't like early on is that I feel like thankfully the, the battles are not like randomized, but they take a little too long um, for my liking. Like this is an Octopath Traveler levels of, of ridiculous. And also those were random battles. Um, so you're not necessarily like walking around and constantly getting into fights and you're not doing that thing where it's like, Oh, I'm backtracking. I, I feel like I didn't find, uh, I didn't go this other route or find this chest. And now you're going into tons of extra fights that, take like 15 minutes but like these are a little bit too long in the tooth i feel like um so maybe things will get better when like uh uh i get my footing but like i said like it's a little bit too much jargon up front a lot a little bit too much uh going on um and like there's there's just like ballroom scene where this character is introduced pretty pretty early on and there is so much like all these nobles are like 
mentioning names and air places and capital cities and it's like uh kings queens princes um and stuff like that and it's like i i i'm like having a hard time like remembering who is who or where certain places are or like even under like it just it's not like done it does like it, it it they don't do a good job of like setting up the the sides of the factions or like what is going on so like it's a little bit too much thrown up all at once uh, what is Got your it. what is your best Steam Deck game? It's got to be Dead Cells. Got to be Dead Cells. Uh, Dead Cells is a game that you can get on Steam Deck, feel confident that it's going to run well. I, I think the other thing that makes a great Steam Deck game that we didn't really talk about is uh, just the fact that there's the cloud saves that you can move uh, between uh, your PC and your, and your Steam Deck. This is a game that I like to play on both. I, I think that there are times when I'm just like in the mood for an action game, but I don't feel like playing a multiplayer game. And I feel like dead cells really states that. And I feel like it's, it's a game that where you get that parody, you get that. This is just as good in your hands as it is when you're playing on the, on the PC. So, uh, dead cells, I would really encourage everybody to check this game out. Uh, don't know why you specifically Kirby stopped uh, playing dead cells. I know I should, I should play more. Give of it another it. look. Um... It, it is a really, really terrific game. That's only gotten better. And uh, it's really optimistic outlook on this game. Uh, mine is going to be Hack. I just really loved it. Uh, it's the it's the most fun I think I had with a Steam Deck game this year outside of a lot of those uh, Bullet Heaven games. Um, it plays like fantastic on it, looks great, and is an amazing Metroidvania game. I had a, I had a really good time with it. Yeah. So the next category is Best Game Pass Game. So don't know how much you're going to be able to interact with this uh, because you don't have Game Pass. Uh, well, I guess like, I, I understand. That, like, the di I guess the difference of this, what makes this category, is a game that you probably wouldn't pick up on your own or play on your uh, play on your own if you had to spend money for it. But if it's like if it's free, then it's you, you check it out and then find something really special. Yeah. So on this, I've got Nobody Saves the World, Grounded, Boo. High on Life. Immortality, Pentiment, The Riot Games Pass, Tunic, and Persona 5 Royal. Damn, is that fair? Nobody saves... I mean, uh, not nobody saves... Is Riot Games Pass? Is that fair? It's a pretty yeah. wild one, right? What do you get for the Riot Games Pass? It's all uh, League characters, right? Every League of Legends characters, every Wild Rift character. Um, you get all of the starting cards in uh, Legends of Runeterra, and you get every Agent in Valorant. That is insane. Isn't that like insane? That w Game Pass on it. If if that that alone, wouldn't that alone kind of justify Game Pass having every league character? That the money the 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 money cost of that is insane. The the like the benefit of that is insane. Yeah. Oh, and you also get bonus uh, acquisition on like Blue Essence on like. On, on all the battle passes and all the games. So you get like a battle pass boost in Valorant, in, in League of Legends. Uh, so that's neat. You best know, best value for sure out of all of these. Um, Nobody value. Saves the World, I guess, is a game that I would rather play on like a game pass because I don't really necessarily like it. Um, and I'm, and <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's a good game pass game in that you could try it out and be like, oh yeah, I'm glad I didn't spend money on it. So that's, that's exactly, something. exactly. Um, so grounded, the thing is, uh, so the thing about grounded is this might be the best game on the list, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good Game Pass game. 
uh, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to say. Like, there, there are some really cool things that Microsoft did with this game uh, with regards to the way that uh, the cloud saves work, uh, with the way that the your world can be brought online and offline, and uh, multiple people can jump into an online world without one player having to host. That's, like, really, really great and impressive architecture that they built for this game. Uh, don't know that it necessarily makes it the best Game Pass game, though. Uh, because I, I, like I said, I think grounded, there's a case that it might be the best game on this list, but might not necessarily be the best game pass game. So another thing is that I think a good game pass game is a game that you can actually finish because it's a subscription service and it, it feels really good to, uh, you know, find a game or a couple of games that you want to play up for a month, play through a bunch of games and then, you know, get off the service if, if that's what you want. Um, high on life. I think that this, this game, uh, you know, we don't really have to talk about Justin Roiland very much, but the, uh, lead, the, the lead of Squanch games was Justin Roiland and he's in all sorts of heat right now. But I think it's, I, I think that it's a little bit unfair to you. Do, it's not fair. You do have to divorce. Yeah. Because this game bit. was made by dozens of people. And if you're going to say, like, oh, you don't want to talk about that game, Justin Roiland is, like, heavily involved. But, like, so are, like, dozens of other people. And, like, it's not fair to all of those other people if you're going to say, fuck this game because Justin Roiland was part of it. When, you know, there are people who really, you know, cared about this game and made this game. And I think that it's a great game. And I think that even aside from Justin Roiland, it has some great comedic performances. Uh, Tim Robinson uh, has a fantastic role in High on Life. He plays one of the guns. So he is just like, one, once you unlock him, he is like always by your side and talking. And his gun is so goddamn stupid. His gun is so... In this game, you essentially like, we, we talked about it a little bit, but you are like uh, this. And I think that you might compare this game uh, to Guardians of the Galaxy from last year, where it is kind of like this hearkening back to the 360 or the PS3 era of games where it's like, this is a campaign game. It's, you know, 20 hours long. You play through it once. It's pretty linear. There's unlocks and then you're done. Uh, so that's high on life. Uh, Justin Roiland is part of it, whatever. He's got like a, a big main role, but so t Tim Robinson's character is he plays this living gun uh, who has like babies. Like the gun shoots out like these little eggs that like hatch and turn into babies. And like the babies will, like uh, run around and attack things. And there's uh, this special version of it. They can like latch onto an enemy and like mind control them for a bit. But the, the dialogue that he has around that is, is really terrific. Uh, I'm not going to repeat any jokes because uh, those jokes aren't funny if you hear them from somebody else. Um, but it's a really well-made game. It actually looks really great. I love the style. I love the colors of it. The music is great. There's some really bizarre easter eggs in this game where there are these there's like four movies in this game that you could just like sit down and watch in their entirety i think that this is a great example of a game pass game because it's like this is a 60 dollar game that i would never buy like for for a number of reasons uh but on game pass i'm definitely willing to just like play through it i i feel like i think this is the best performing game pass game ever like the most downloads Damn. Uh, which really just makes it like a, this is what Game Pass is all about. Yeah, it's like a shorter uh, kind of like, 
a couple sit- sittings to finish this thing, a laugh a lot, and then never look back at it kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Immortality uh, also, <laughs> not a laugh out loud game. Uh, very intense, very weird game, uh, but also a very finite game. It's like a, it's a very one and done sort of thing where, uh, you know, we talked about this already, but it's a cinematic experience. Sam Barlow in the vein of her story and telling lies. Uh, then you have Pentiment, which was kind of a shadow drop, kind of a surprise release. Uh, point and click adventure, sort of like detective game by Obsidian, who is, you know, known for Fallout New Vegas. Uh, I didn't actually get very far in it, so it might not get the um, justice it deserves on this list. Bright Game Pass, just talked about it a little bit. Tunic. Uh, Tunic is a game that we both played. Um, yeah, we did talk about this game. a little bit. It's kind of like a throwback to uh, Zelda games. Um, meets meets like a Fez. Yeah, meets a Fez. Like One of the big things that separates it is that there is this kind of like made-up language. Um, you're finding in the world... Um, pieces to the game's uh, uh, g- book, like the, the, the game's guide um, that that are written in like a completely made up language. And you're kind of trying to like use those, the images and what it seems to be saying to figure out more about the game. There's like kind of some interesting ways that it teaches you about the game in that way. It, it's kind of like, it, it's it's a lot like if you were like a child and you got, um like zelda on you know, like in the a japanese version of zelda and that you're reading the 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 book that 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 comes with it and there there's you don't understand the language but some of the, the but you can see like the controls because those are universal and you see like maps that are universal so you're trying to piece together what information is in the guide that you can um and that that's a really interesting way of doing things it's got a very unique style good good kind of music um like you said very fezzy very like mysterious um it is a little bit longer of than these like i feel like it's not like high on life immortality or pentiment um and persona 5 royale Uh, so uh, finally yeah Uh, so persona 5 royale it's finally on pc um and you know what would feel terrible is You've already bought this game. You you bought this game already on PlayStation 4. Or maybe you bought Persona 5. So you find out that Royal's coming to PC and maybe you can't justify the $60 again. But if it's on Game Pass, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but this is like, this is like if now that we're, we we said everything we're mentioning for this, this uh, category, Persona 5 Royale, this is like a really long game. Um, I, I feel like this is the kind of game where you might just buy it outside of Game Pass because if you are planning to, like, this is not a short experience, if you are planning to play a couple games and then not subscribe next month or something, like, this is not the game. Um, this is a, uh, like, 150-hour RPG extravaganza. Um, this is, like, like it, it, this is, this is like, as it, 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 it depends on what we're going to say about this, this, uh, uh, category because there's what if we're if we're looking at it for best value then like Persona Five Royale you know second place with like Riot Games Pass being like insane like it, it literally insane for the if if you like League or Valorant like yeah and you and you're getting into those now like I literally if if someone was gonna play was gonna be like hey I want to play League uh right now then 
Riot Games Pass is like I could not literally not imagine playing it without it because you just getting access to everything is pretty insane. Um, but it's but these are so different than these other experiences like Immortality and High on Life where uh, and Pentiment where it's something that you might be like oh I don't want to it's a shorter experience a little bit cheaper of an experience um, not 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 um, you know by quality by literal amount of money and it's something that a lot of people I think might pass up um, but might play it if they just if they're looking at it and they're like the same way that you like look through um a net like i feel like this is like this category should be like you're looking through netflix and you say oh i wouldn't normally i wouldn't pay for this movie but but if i click this button i could watch it okay all right or like i wouldn't i don't i don't want to like go through the trouble of like you know buying friends dvds but i'll i'll download but like oh it's on uh you know hbo max okay i'll watch friends or something like something like that I feel like there's two different ways you could look at it, like best value or what is something that because of the access would, you know, make people want to play it. Yeah. It, it's also like um, when I think of uh, what what is a good gift for somebody, I think it's not something that they would buy for themselves. Like that's what I think of, a, of as, as a great gift for someone. It's not something they would necessarily buy for themselves, but it's something that they would love to have. Um, and that's kind of the way that I that I would interpret this category. I think that the best game on Game Pass, you know, that's a different category. But I think that for best Game Pass game, my actual vote, uh, runner-up would be High on Life. But I think that number one, the answer for me is Immortality. Um, I, I think that it's a really interesting and unique game. And I feel like there are a lot of people who are going to look at this and be like, there's no chance in hell I'm going to pay for that. I don't even know what that is, but maybe they, they see it. Oh, it's on game pass. All right. Well, I'm curious enough to take a look and uh, I think it's really surprising. It's really weird. I think that some of these other games, you know, even high on life is a very known quantity. And I feel like there are a lot of people who are really excited about the fact that high on life is going to be on game pass. Cause then they don't have to, they don't have to buy it at $60. That's it's expensive. Whereas immortality, it's a $20 game. But I do think it's a it's a weirder game, and I think that uh, Game Pass is a really great place for it, just because it's so out there. Um, and and you know, with when it comes to Sam Barlow, either like you're into these artsy games, or or, or you don't know who he is. Um, and I think that for people who don't know who he is, uh, this game being on Game Pass is going to be the way a lot of people uh, learn about it. Um, I, yeah, this doesn't make sense for me to get because I don't have Game Pass. Um. If I, I feel like I'm happy that you said immortality because if out of these, like, I think high on life and immortality are the ones where, like, I would, if I just had, like, if, like again, like that Netflix kind of thing, if I'm just scrolling around, like, those are games that I would, I don't know if I would buy it, but I'm like, I, I'm kind of on the edge of buying immortality. Like, if it was, if I had Game Pass, I think that would be the one that I would check out. Oh, yeah. Well, you could uh, get game, if you get Game Pass, you have all the right, the agents in Valorant. That'd be pretty good for you. I got all the agents in Valorant already. Um, best Elden Ring boss. Um, this is a, there's a lot of them. Um, I kind of, I, I put the, I put down the ones that I think would be kind of worth, worth talking about, but there's a lot here. Um, and I added one to the bottom that you left off. Dragonlord Placidusax. Um, we have Margit the Fell Omen, Godric the Grafted, R- Renala, Star Scourge Radon, Astel, uh, Natural Born of the Void, Rickard, Lord of Blasphemy, Tagavon. Fire Giant, <laughs> Moog, Lord of Blood, uh, Millennia, 
very famous. Horlu and Dragonlord Placidus Axe. I think these are some of the most recognized. These are some of the most um, unique ones. The ones that um, uh, are the most, I think, worth mentioning um, in a lot of cases. And these are, I think, most of these are good fights. Um, I feel like Elden. You know, we've we've uh, Elden Ring came out this year, and uh, it, it came out in the beginning of this year. And it, it, I feel very removed. For, well, not this year anymore, because now we're in 2023. But um, uh, I feel very removed from it, despite how fantastic um, it is. And I think this is a good category to give it some love. Um, a lot of these bosses, I think, are very good. Uh, there's problems with Elden Ring, but I think a lot of these bosses can kind of shine a light on some of the best parts of it. I think Margit the Fell Omen, so to start off, Margit the Fell Omen, definitely one of the most infamous bosses of this game i think it comes at a maybe the first boss right it, it is usually everyone's first boss and margit is definitely a like huge awakening for it's a check it's it's a it's a big balance check kind of thing i think that i i, I don't like entire like margit won't be mine because um i think that margit kind of shows off some of the it, 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 margit kind of foreshadows some of the issues with the game where Margit is like extremely fast. Um, Margit has a couple fakes in, in their kit where they'll like fake, like, like there's, there's one attack I know for a fact where they'll, they'll, they'll sometimes do nothing and then sometimes follow it up. And that's kind of like bad design where like they're teaching you, you know, like the boss, um, does this thing and you have time to attack it and then like later in the fight it'll like check you for it um but kind of a cool design um very fast and again like to the, the i think some of the more problems with this game is when it, the boss seems like it was designed for a bloodborne kit and you're playing a souls game so like it's a little definitely very tough i think a little too tough for how for the time that you fight it in the game. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think? You don't think so? You disagree? It's a weird fight because also it's a fight that, uh, you know, it's the first one, like you said, it has the summons outside of it. It's, you know, it also before, it's this weird fight that you could walk around and not have to deal with it for, for a bit if you don't want to. Um, and I think that that's one of the, it, it sort of emphasizes one of the strengths of this game is that like, uh, I'm fighting this boss. I don't feel ready for it. I'm going to leave and go somewhere else and get stronger and come back. Yeah. There's some things you can do. Um, there's definitely like, there's that peninsula area that you could go to before Margit, um, to get stronger for Margit. So I, and then you could maybe be, you know, like, like make Margit a little bit trivial by, just getting a lot stronger than Margit. Also, there's a lot of options. Like you said, there's a um, there's a summon outside of Margit, and then you can also do ashes, so you can kind of cheese Margit pretty hard. Um, but yeah, like I like I I do think that like Margit was designed in some ways for that because I know that the team does talk about specifically Margit being like the in other Souls games you get to a boss and that is what you generally are going to need to do to progress. Like you are at a boss and you're going to bash your head against it until you fight it perfectly and you can continue on with the game. 
And in most cases, that's true. A lot of times you don't really have like a, cho a great choice about it. Um, and in this game, it is the most open. So Margit certainly like you, you don't have to do Margit for a little bit. You can put off Margit and try and do other things. Yeah. And um, that is like an important lesson to learn. Um, yes. I think that we need to get through these other bosses a little bit more. quicker. Um, yes. Godric the Grafted, uh, man, Godric the Grafted is, I think, one of the tightest out of these bosses. Definitely a boss that you can... He's the boss of the first premier dungeon, Yeah, right? boss of the first premier dungeon. Really amazing design. Um, very, like, freaky boss fight. Uh, and I think one of the better balance of these, like, definitely a more dark Soulsian boss where, uh, everything is very telegraphed and you can... Um, really learn to like tightly fight this boss. This is a boss that I feel like um, on the final run of this that I got it. I don't think I got hit. I like I I think I I maybe died like twenty times to this boss, and then finally when I was getting the boss down, it was like I knew the boss's kit inside and out. I knew all the tells. I wasn't gonna get hit at all by it. Um, Renala is an interesting boss. Oh. Yeah, I want to talk about Renala and Radon sort of because there are similarities between these two bosses. Uh, because they have two phases, and the first phase, after you've done it a couple of times, uh, becomes tedious, where the first phase of Renala is you is this sort of like puzzly phase where, uh, first off, this is um, aesthetically one of my favorite bosses. I really love this area that she's in, where she is in like the this like magic academy that's like, so, like most things in Elden Ring kind of like started to fall by the wayside, started to like fall apart. Um, Renala is like the, 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 the king of the castle as it were. Uh, and during her boss fight, she, there are like all these like student, all of these like apprentices around her who are all chanting and you have to run through this room to find uh, the three apprentices that are like holding up her spell and kill them so that you can then get to the second part of the fight which is where it actually becomes hard, which is where she turns into like this bullet hell. She starts to summon all of these like different aspects where she can like summon this like uh, a phant phantasma dragon that's nuts. And, and similar. So th there's this thing that happens where y'all do the first phase like a million times because you're, you're so good at it. It becomes so simple, uh, but it takes time to get through that first phase. So you could finally get to the second phase uh, which is actually a lot harder. Um, and, and you know, for that reason, as much as I love Renala, I have a hard time justifying her place on this list. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the other big things what? is that the, the initial startup is, the initial first portion is exactly like Deacons of the Deep, um, a different Dark Souls bo boss, where um, the whole thing was like, there's tons of these like Deacons walking around and one would have red eyes and you have to kill that one. And kind of avoid them the, the first part is like definitely tedious and then it is like one of those annoying kind of things where you just where once you get the first once you figure out the trick with the first part and once you kind of get it down it's more of like you just do it for five minutes to get to the actual fight that you're having problems with um but i think that her fight is pretty cool it's just too bad that it that like i, I kind of wish that they once you got that down that you would just start, start going straight to Renala because her fight is really cool um, and it, it and it kind of like her fight takes place on that like um, Rom, the vacuous, kind of like this massive water plane um, where there's like uh, like an infinite azure. Um, so 
Star Scourge Radon, holy shit. What a cool boss. Maybe the one that deserves the most um, time to explain what it what it is. And one of the most unique story-wise, Star Scourge Radon was like this heroic general um, that was overtaken by the the Blight, right? What is the name of it? Oh, I forget. Yeah, it's it, he's like overtaken by a Blight and uh, that he... He won a fight against Melania, but he got the Scarlet Rod, I think, which is the name of it. That's what it, it is. It sounds yeah. right. Um, where, but he was infected, so like he sa- he he saved his his city, but um, was infected by the Scarlet Rod, and now he uh, has kind con- because of the intense pain he's in, he's gone completely insane. Um, he's like ridiculously powerful. He uh, uses gravity magic to like bind the stars, so he's insane. He ha- he is grown massive but he still has this horse that he loves so like he could never physically fit on his horse so it's kind of this insane um uh juxtaposition of him this massive monster giant with two massive swords riding around on this impossibly small horse that he actually doesn't need to ride around on but he's still kind of despite being insane loves the horse so he uses gravity magic to be light enough to like ride on him um I think it's it it is out of these it is out of these maybe other than like fire giant I think it is the only fight that is like they could not have done this in a previous Dark Souls um, that they needed the new generation you fight him on like a size of this area that is like you fight him on this massive dune plane it is like huge compared to like other areas in the game like it is the biggest arena. I think uh, you might have ever fight like a Dark Souls boss in. Um, And it's big for a reason because all the characters that you've met prior to this, like this, this is the, even the setup is cool. Like his people, his, his like army loves him and, but they know he's gone insane. So they do this yearly festival um, to get soldiers, warriors from all around to kill him, um, to put him down out of his misery um, and give him like an honorable death in battle. So what it fights way differently than other Dark Souls bosses, where um, you're you are getting like infinite spawns of the enemies of the characters that you've thought, found so far. So all your like the heroes that you've seen so far on this journey, you can summon them in. So like this becomes this like war of everyone fighting this guy at the same time. It's like a visual feast for the eyes. Um, it is not the best fight from a like mechanical or fun perspective, but it is definitely the one that is like the most unique out of these. And it's definitely the one that they have never done anything like it. And it is really visually intense and insane looking. Yeah. So speaking of visually intense, Estelle uh, is a really neat one of these Uh, hard to even describe what it is. Um, It's like some sort of insane scorpion skeleton monster. Yeah. But it's like, um it's like uh, in the void like it like uh i don't know it is like such an original design for a creature um like it's like an eldritch horror yeah it is definitely an eldritch horror uh that you just fight in this giant open like space um i i have a hard time like describing it i think that like uh estelle has some of the coolest visuals of any of the creatures and i think that it also has like um some of the coolest uh, gear related to it. I also I don't think know that, that necessarily. Oh, go on. 
I also think that Estelle is out of these, like, it's a little bit fairer, it's a little bit more Dark Souls, it's a little bit more, like, if you understand the mechanics, you can do very well against it. Um, it's not cheesy. Um, it's a very balanced. Yeah, but it still has, like, some big attacks to keep yeah. you in check, where if you get it, like, halfway through um, the fight, it can do things like uh, teleport to the other side of the field, and then it starts, like, throwing these giant meteors at you. And once you kill it, you get... a the ability to summon those meteors, which is very cool. Um, so the payoff is great from there. Uh, next up, we have Rickard, the Lord of Blasphemy. This is a really cool fight because um, I, I kind of wish that they did stuff like this a little bit more. Um, the really cool gimmick about Rickard is that you get a sword that, uh, like, I guess, like, anyone can kind of use, and it's specifically made for this boss fight, and it works... Like, yeah. it works differently in this boss fight where, like, Rickard himself is this massive creature in the middle of the, the battlefield, but the sword has, like, insane reach during this fight, and it, it it's, like, this gigantic, massive, like, beam saber thing during the fight, and it is really, really fun to use. Just what makes this, this fight so unique is that it kind of takes you outside of your build and lets you do a different type of fight and build for a little bit. And I think that's really I cool. I re-rolled for this, though. Oh, yeah? I oh. mean, personally, yeah. I was playing a mage, and I, like, couldn't couldn't swing it. So I just, I was like, you know what? I'll just re-roll for this one fight. I'll go for a melee build. So I did the melee build, and then I turned back. Yeah, that's a little uh, lame to hear um, that, it, that, it, that it caused you to do that. Uh, but I just think that this is a cool fight because I think this could be done well. This is a better version of, I forget what the name of it was, where you would get that, like, you got that specific weapon. And I, I, I you know, this is, like, not coming across well. But I think in Dark Souls 2, I believe, there was a, like, giant that you fight. And in his room, there's, like, a two-handed sword that works against him. And uh, uh, it's, like, the fight, it's a similar fight where you pick up the sword and you use it against him uh, in that fight. Um, but this is a b little bit better take on that. And I think the, the weapon is very cool and the fight is very uh, fun and cool. Uh, Fire Giant um, is a, is also, uh, it's a little bit, it's closer to, to Scar Surge Radon in that it's like visually intense. Uh, the giant, it's like so big that a lot of times when you're fighting him, you can't see his body. Um, on screen, you just are kind of by his feet. He's so big um, and so intense and menacing. I think it's just a really it's good... It's a massive arena. It's a really massive arena and a really, I think, overall good fight. I really like the fight. It's it's not like, you know... I, I think it, it I think it was memorable. Um, and I think... It, and it's also one of the only ones of these that, like, completely does not ever repeat. Like, I think mm -hmm. there is only one fire giant. You never see it again. Um, you never, there's never a different one of these, I believe that you fight something similar to it. A lot of these other ones, they repeat in some form. Uh, this yeah, is a very, not like, Redon, not Renala, not a couple of other ones. Uh, Moog, Lord of Blood, uh, just a, uh, a good fight with, uh, I guess with like kind of like a cheap mechanic, um, that is like a little unfair if you don't, if you didn't get it or didn't read it. It's, this is definitely one of those, like it kind of checks your souls, if you are playing the game without a guide, then like if you aren't reading things you're picking up, there's a thing that you kind of need to have to make this fight doable. 
Um, and, um, I guess I would, I guess like it, this, I would put, I put this in that, that, um, Godric and Astol kind of area where this is a very tightly designed boss, a boss where you're going to lose a lot. But I think when you do, when you put in the work, it's a very fair boss and a very fun boss. And I think a lot of people really like this fight. Cool. People also like this next fight, which is Millennia and infamously. Why do they? I mean, there's. Millennia, I think, is a very poorly balanced boss. Um, not a boss you have to do, but a boss that is, like, very inf infamous. It's probably, I guess it's probably known as the hardest fight in the game, but um, she's extremely cheap, is what she is. Elena, Blade of Mikola. But but some people do have fighting her down to a science, right? One, like, one feel... person certainly does. Yes, there is uh, the, the sort of viral... Let me <laughs> the solo viral her. viral opposition, let me solo her. Uh, which is a, a naked man. Just, yeah, he's a naked man with a pot on his head that uh, stands outside the Millennia room in case um, people don't want to play the games themselves. Uh, you could summon in this guy and he'll kill Millennia for you. I think that um, uh, the studio sent him like a little trophy uh, after he killed her for like the thousandth time or something like that. I hope that, that um, Let Me Solo Her appears in some form in another Dark Souls game, like an NPC that is naked and wearing a pot on their head, because I think Let Me Solo Her is more interesting than Millennia herself. Um, I had a weird experience with Millennia that I talked about on the podcast where uh, uh, I had, like, this, like, empty dex build, I think, at the time. Or maybe, no, it was blood. It was a, it was a blood build at the time. And uh, I had, like, rivers of blood, and uh, I was still like summoning with ashes and I accidentally beat her on the first try. And I, cause just the rivers of blood spec is like ridiculously strong. The decks like spec, it was ridiculously strong. And I summoned a, um, what is it? The uh, clone, the, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this Ash. was also around the time that that clone was fucked up. Yeah. And, um, because of it, like it kind of like locked her out of a lot of her moves. Like I, I think I block, I like dodged a couple of attacks and then me and the clone just started like beating up on her. And as she was winding up to do an attack, she got, um, staggered out of it. And that was enough damage to put her into the second version of the fight, the second attack, uh, or the second portion of the fight. And I dodged like two of her like jumping slams and then killed her. And it was, it made me just stop using this, the ashes after that because it, it felt like I truly cheapened the fight. Um, but I, 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 yeah, yeah I don't I really would say, I would say it took me a good three or four hours to, to down her. Yeah. Uh, um, you can cheese this fight and ruin it for yourself, I think. Um, I don't, I don't have the love that I, that other people have. This is a, this is definitely the, 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 the character is cool. The arena is cool, but I think that this is one of the worst offenders of the game's problems. She is like a very, she's really, really fast, really cheap. And she does a lot of input reading where she will just like stand there in front of you and do nothing for a long time. And then you like press a button and then she like flies forward and attacks you the she's second a cheating you... bot she's yeah. a cheating bot she's a cheating bot Hurlu is a pretty good fight yeah, i don't i didn't even remember who this was this is the you guy who like transforms kind of halfway through there's no another unique oh, boss guy fight who transforms you... halfway through that yeah that, you fight him that. um just yeah. before the before uh 
Radagon, right? Um, he's outside of the throne room. He's that like okay. kind of oh, bestial oh, okay, man okay, okay. who yeah, like yeah. he does a lot of like Hulk attacks where he's like you know throwing rocks and like creating sound waves and stuff. He's like hyper mobile and he kind of he changes to like the he he has like he goes by two different names and like the second one he like tra- he becomes like his bestial Horalu. The, the, with like the lion guy um he's he's a pretty cool fight not a lot to say about him um i think he's a little bit he's also pretty, pretty input leading uh reading kind of guy and then final finally dragon lord placidious axe i think it's one of the best of the dragons for sure a very um hard to find boss actually very bizarre way to find this boss yes where you have to like run off the side of a cliff and then there's like a place where you can fall asleep and if you fall asleep, like a storm picks you up and takes you to this like amazing arena that is just like it, you're in the middle of of like this storm that you've been seeing. Like there is this uh, area, the Faramazul, where there's just like these constant storms going on all the time. And if you can find this boss, you'll realize that you're in the middle of the storm. And it is really uh, one of the most intense locations uh, in Elden Ring or in any Souls game, really, is 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 where this boss fight takes place, and it's it, it is maybe one of the only bosses where, um, walking up to it, my heart kind of sank. It is because as you enter the arena, it is like uh, like nested like a bat above you, and then it just like you know f- collapse like falls down, and it is. It has all these like lightning attacks. It is this crazy two-headed dragon with its heads like are all like twisted among each other. It's 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 just crazy. It's it is such a spectacle, and it is. I I feel uh, upset for the people who miss this fight because it's so hard to find. But definitely look it up on on YouTube if you haven't seen it. It's a really really amazing looking fight. It's so intense. Like this is like fuck the fuck the last boss of the game, like that boss was so corny. The Elden Beast. Like, like this is what it should have been. Like Dragon Lord Plissigisax was so cool. The arena was so cool. Um, this is what the end of the game should have been like. To be honest, should have been like this. Yeah. Um. Great fight, and I think it's another like pretty fair fight. You de- definitely can get to the point where there, there's this like timing of it where it like crashes down, and like there's it, 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 it like he swoops down and like crashes, I think. And like you can definitely get to the point where you understand this fight inside and out. Um, so what's your favorite of these? Dragon Lord Passigius X, yeah, it is a really visually interesting one. Um, I'm gonna go with Godric, I love Godric. I think that it was, like, the most fun I had with the game, uh, with a boss. Like, I felt like it was the one where I most understood the game. Um, it was the one where I felt that, like, I really just got it down. And uh, I, I, I loved it. I, I think it was, like, it's it's an awesome first boss, and it's very fair, and um, teaches you some of the best parts of the game. Right Let's, on. Uh, best design Marvel Snap card. Uh, uh, Ooh, this is one that I'm very... Um uh enthusiastic about this is one that i'm very enthusiastic about what do i mean by best design marvel snap card i think what what i kind of think about it about this and we'll talk about the different cards in it but i think what i'm thinking about with this is that 
Um, something that like does a lot in a lot of different interesting ways. Um, I, and and we're gonna mention some of these and uh, it, it like. It's 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 you know it's a, it's a multi pronged kind of thing. It's it's best designed because the the design of it is good. It's fair. You're not annoyed to see it. It works in many different ways. I think that the the these cards kind of in, in a lot of ways um, show the the power of Marvel Snap. Of these are simplistic designs that kind of work in fantastic, interesting ways that uh, I, I just think are really cool. And to start off is wasp i i I wanted to i wanted to move wasp because i want to start with some of the introduction cards okay so squirrel girl why i put i put squirrel girl on here because i think she teaches she 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 is everything that i just said about this game squirrel girl is a one cost one power card that puts another one power one cost one power card um at each other location Uh, the reason why i think she's so special is that she teaches a ton of mechanics early on in the game. So one of the big things she teaches you is that you're not playing the other cards. The other cards are appearing at the other places. So Death's Domain is an example of a location that it kills any card that you play there. But Squirrel Girl will place the other cards down there. Um, Sanctum Samtorum, you cannot place cards. You just physically cannot place them there. And Squirrel Girl will still be able to put a squirrel there. So I think she starts to teach you some of the mechanics, some of the meaning behind certain phrases of the game. She also, like, she never goes out of style. Um, uh, there's a lot of different unique uses for her. She is uh, she has so many um, powerful uses outside of what you might initially think that she's useful for, which is a one-cost buffing deck with Kazar or Blue Marvel. She eventually kind of finds use in these death decks. Um, she, Destroy. Be, because yeah. she creates three one-cost cards, she's extremely good for cards like Carnage, where she puts a lot of, you know, mess and junk on the field. She's good for cards like Killmonger, who can kill three um, creatures at once. And, and lower the cost of death by three. She's good for cards like Patriot eventually, where the the two squirrels that she creates are um, don't have any ability. They are like neutral minions, so they get buffed by Patriot, who buffs cards that have no um, card text. Uh, so, like, powerful, fantastic card. A card that you teaches you a lot up front, and then later on will become extremely useful in all sorts of decks. And like, I, I think that that is amazing. Um, the- so likewise, yeah, I want to talk about Nightcrawler uh, for similar reasons. Any closing thoughts on Squirrel Girl? Why I put Squirrel Girl on this list and why I like Marvel Snap is because without having a beast tag or a, you know, without having a, you know, built-in fake-ass synergy kind of thing, she is so interesting for so many of the reasons that I said that she works in destroy, she works in like a uh, Patriot. She works to teach people things. And the card text is so simple. She's a one mana card, one power, create squirrels at other locations. I just think that she is like p- a pinnacle card design doing so much. She's doing so much heavy lifting for the design team. So similarly, I want to talk a little bit about Nightcrawler. So Nightcrawler, really simple. You get him really early on in the game, like Squirrel Girl. He's a 1-2, and his ability is you can move this card once. 
so there's a lot of interesting things about Nightcrawler. So similar to Squirrel Girl, he can get into areas that other characters can't. Uh, he can get into Sanctum, Sanctorum. He can get into Death's Domain. He can sneak into areas uh, where other people cannot. Flooded areas that are you, like locked off. Uh, yeah, vault. He, te he teaches you about the move archetype. I think he's the first move card you get. Uh, which, you know, move isn't like the strongest thing in the game, but it is a cool mechanic and it is something that is Marvel Snap specific. Marvel Snap is a card game with three locations that you're fighting over. And some cards like Nightcrawler have the ability to move between them. Uh, Nightcrawler can do a bunch of other things. He can activate Angela and then move off. So there are cards that get bonuses of like when you play a card to this location, you get this buff. Uh, so Nightcrawler can be played at a location uh, to, let's say, buff Angela, or you might want to fill the raft. You might want to um, get a buff at Shuri's Lab, because Shuri's Lab doubles the power of a card when it's played there. So you could buff Nightcrawler at Shuri's Lab and then move him somewhere else. And he's a 1-4. So you still have space for him. Uh, he is very surprising. Uh, on the last turn of the game, maybe people forgot that you have a Nightcrawler. Uh, I forget every time that people have Nightcrawler. So on that fourth turn, you could move Nightcrawler off of a location that people think they've won to make space for a bigger card. And I think that that's really powerful. I think that it's extremely relevant uh, in today's Spider-Man world. So <laughs> I, I really think He's that also just is like so well-designed. Like no one complains about him. He can kind of like fit in to most decks. Um, if, you just, if you just want like... I, I think I look at him... Uh, similar to like Sunspot as like, I don't have any one drops. It might just be nice to have something to play every once in a while on turn one. Um, and yeah, he's one of those things where like, if you don't have a Nightcrawler or a Mr. Fantastic, there are some times where like, he just wins a game. Like he just like accidentally wins a game where, where like no one, like the person isn't playing Killmonger, doesn't have a way to destroy the Nightcrawler and he can just like move into Death's Domain. And then it's just like, whoops, like he... No way to deal with it. Um, so that made me think about Mr. Fantastic. So let's talk about him real quick. Uh, so Mr. Fantastic, you get him really early on in the game. Uh, he is a three energy, two cost card, so a little understated, but he adds two power to adjacent locations. So the reason why he's an interesting card is he is impacting the power of locations that he is not in, which is a rare ability in this game. Only a couple of cards have it. Mr. Fantastic and Claw are the two popular ones. So Mr. Fantastic is really great for a number of reasons, uh, but in terms of design, uh, he makes you consciously think about what location you're playing him at, uh, because Mr. Fantastic can be especially fantastic when he's played middle and can impact both the left and right lanes. Uh, he is extremely good played into Onslaught Citadel, uh, where instead of adding two power, he can add four power to locations because he has an ongoing effect. Um, so I, I think that he is really great because he makes you think about different strategies. He makes you think about like a wide board strategy and he really emphasizes those locations in the game that you could play him off of to benefit. Yeah, and like you said, it's kind of cool because you can like neg negative zone and stuff like that. Like he's just like... So he's he's technically adding like five power to negative zone because negative zone is minus three. So to have plus yeah. two means you like it's the the equivalent of putting like a five power card there, down there. Yep. Um, Mysterio, 
is a really interesting card because he all and such a cool such a cool Marvel character. I don't know if you've seen uh, Spider Man Far From Home. I have but not. I gotta get stars. Um, really terrific. Uh, work yeah. very flavorful card, right? And he almost like yes. he almost works in a squirrel girly way where he's pool three, but he teaches you some more interesting things about the game. Uh, one of the most interesting things. So Mysterio, um, you place him at a location, and he is a two four. But he makes zero mana, zero power clones at other locations. But one of the more technically different and interesting things about him is that he plays the cards there. So the the, the whole idea of it is that your opponent doesn't know which, what is the real one. So one Mysterio, you know, like technically on a regular board, there's two fake Mysterios and there's one real one that's four. So the opponent is kind of guessing where the power was. But one of the more interesting things about him is that he is playing them so so you can't so like the game you can't get him into sanctum, sanctum you can't do that kind of stuff so the game like like your opponent knows that like like with squirrel girl or whatever like she's not playing them she's creating them so you would know that that's not the real one so you so like if you played mysterio into not death's domain and then the other the clone will get played at death's domain and die but one of the more interesting things about him i just he has a lot of like different interesting unique synergies and one of the most interesting ones is like bishop he counts as playing three cards um at once he's just yeah, a really bishop cool that's a bonus for every card played and mysterio technically counts as playing three cards at once he's just a really cool designed card like i just like like using him a lot um obviously good with those like buffy kind of decks he's uh and it's uh, funny that his clones count as um as uh cards without abilities so he'll get so technically those cards can get buffed by patriot so yeah he's the two four he gets big buffs from patriot he puts a lot on the board works similar to like he, a grown-up squirrel girl he works well with that like destroy archetype um it's good for like carnage to eat the zero cost many uh uh in illusions and everything like that just a really cool card um out of, these are the next card is a lot more technical but i think is one of the most fun and arguably one of the most fun cards in the game is like a real casino card uh lockjaw lockjaw is a three three right lockjaw is a th wow okay also you skipped over multiple man how dare oh. you um but lockjaw is a three two oh, let's let's talk about multiple man real quick because Multiple Man is really cool and interesting. Multiple Man, uh, whenever the card moves, he places uh, uh, another, he clones himself at that original location. But there's like so many interesting things you could do with that card. So one of the, the really crazy things, obviously, is like you Hulkbuster Multiple Man. You um, buff Multiple Man. You, you buff Multiple, Multiple Man, Man in different ways. Stats, and then you copy him. Yeah. Um, I just really like... Uh, he is like a really interesting card, and I think he's one of those early cards that you like see it and you're like, oh my god, he is broken. Um, but he's not because move is suffering. But uh, just a really interesting card, um, and I think that the he alone kind of holds up that move archetype of like he's such yeah. a good staple, and I'm I can't even imagine playing a move deck without him. So the reason why I wanted to put multiple man on the list is because I think he is a card that really makes you think about archetypes and and like decks early on. Because you're not going to put multiple man in your deck unless you're a move deck. So he's the kind of card where you get him and you're like, oh, what does this work with? And then you're using the in-game filters 
you're setting them to move and you're looking at all the, the cards that might make him work. You're finding like Iron Fist, you're finding Doctor Strange, you're looking at the cards that might buff him. So you're looking at like maybe Forge or you're looking at uh, Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster is the other one. Uh, and, and those are the things that I, I think make a deck building game good. Uh, so that's why I wanted to bring up Multiple Man. And if you don't mind, I'd like to skip forward to talk about Devil Dino and Moon Girl, who I've put together um, because you get them. You might actually get these two cards one after the other. Uh, but Devil Dino, or maybe they're pool two and you get them randomly. Uh, but Devil Dino and Moon Girl, they're from the same show. So it's no surprise that they synergize together. Devil Dino gets more stats the larger your hand is. And Moon Girl creates a copy of your hand. She doubles the amount of cards in your hand, which means that not only can she create two copies of Devil Dino, but she can also uh, make your hand extra big so those dinos are big. So I think that this is another example, like Multiple Man, where you're really seeing these two cards and you really start to understand these two cards belong together. And then you realize, oh, they're from the same show. They're from the same comic. That's that's funny. That's clever. Yeah, it's really that's... it is really cool. Like that, like it, this is a really good example of synergies without tags. Um, as much as I do like tags, I always talk about like in Magic. Um, there's like uh, they they do a pretty good job. I mean, Magic is like Magic, um, but they do a pretty good job of having things where it's like, oh, there's a human vampire that hurts you when it plays it. So. Uh, maybe uh, you have a deck that just wants those low-cost minions. Maybe you have a deck that wants to hurt your life total. Maybe you have a deck that's humans. Maybe you have a deck that's vampires. Maybe you have, you know, and like, but but at the end of the day, I do think that like the tags almost seem cheapened, uh, cheap, like uh, they're really easy way to do synergies. Um, and Devil Dino and Moon Girl are just like a very cute way to do synergy. A, a, a card that that doubles the your hand that uh, creates co copies of things in your hand, and then a card that you know a, that's a turn four card, and then a turn five card that gets plus two for every card in your hand. It's like a very cute way of doing synergy. Um, a very cool thing, you know. Like I I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, they are a cool combo, uh, and very relevant. Like the yeah, other they're... thing about these cards is they're very strong. These are cards that you could play uh, from as soon as you get them all the way to the highest ranks in the game. Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of like, this is like kind of the main deck. Like I played like a Moon Girl Devil Dino with Darkhawk um, to be one of the main decks that I that I got to Infinite with. And I, I think that, that Moon Congratulations. Girl... Congratulations. Thank you. I think that Moon Girl and Devil Dino actually did most of the heavy lifting um, because the Moon Girl Devil Dino combo and like especially turn... Um, like what ends up happening is that it's the most easily controllable combo. It's two cards in a game where you generally will draw out your whole deck. Um, it's very easy to get Moon Girl. Um, even if you don't have current in the current meta, there's Zabu, which is like a, a mess. But uh, even if you don't have Zabu, um, playing Moon Girl on four and then a big ass Devil Dino on five and then like a Mystique and Sentinel is like a very easy to obtain 
very strong power play that works at all levels of the game. I think that Moon Girl and Devil Dino as a combo are the easiest to obtain and always most relevant, um, some of the most powerful cards that you get. Definitely the cards that, like, if I had to make an account and then i wanted to like get a sweaty deck and just like really grind you wanted to speed run to i wanted to speed run to infinite i would use devil dino and moon girl like this like they work like they will they they really yeah really work they work how about how about lockjaw here's a here's a fun card lockjaw is my favorite card in the game and there's a number of reasons first off cutest card in the game best variants you got that dan hip lockjaw it's got the animated spit coming out of the mouth. Oh my god. Oh my god. It is god. so sick. So Lockjaw is a card where when you place another card at its location, it swaps it with a card in your deck, which means that you could throw in some some real garbage cards. You could throw in like a zero cost, one cost, cheap cards. You get their on reveal effect and then they go away and pull out something else. So you could throw in like a Nightcrawler, you could throw in like a Mysterio clone, you could throw in Wasp, who's a zero cost card, and you could pull your Infinite, you could pull your Magneto, you could pull uh, the best cards in your deck right away and just have them on the field for better or worse. Yeah, there is doesn't like doesn't always work out. There's like negative things, especially drawing their big cards early can can create a lot of problems or um, stuffing up that side of the board. But it, it is just like a constantly fun card and like this game should be about fun um uh do you play have you played lockjaw with um with uh thanos i just made where, a, the, there there was like a, i saw a popular plan. thanos lockjaw deck with like five six cost cards um and so like i i want to give that a shot um uh that someone was playing an in infinite um but i didn't play a lot of lockjaw with thanos one reason why i i did play a little bit of it but i ended up get i was getting like bad luck because i would just like play a stone into lockjaw and get another yeah. stone um, i know you're a real you're a climber and lockjaw isn't really the most consistent i mean i, I like I, I do want to play uh more lockjaw but probably not ne- I, i'll try this thanos out but like i i feel like lockjaw is just more fun with like high rollers like a casino lockjaw magneto in there um giganto infinite you're just like high rolling you're magnetoing at the end you're popping out like crazy stuff moving the board around going nuts um, his best friend over here is our next card, Wasp. I think uh, uh, Wasp is up there with the cards that kind of shape this category for me. Um, a Wasp is a zero. I think she is the most unassuming of the cards we just mentioned. She is a zero cost, one power card with no text. So definitely up front, like a great example to in why I think. The game has some really cool things, uh, uh, really cool synergies without being too explicit. Um, she is so simplistic, but so interesting in her design and works in such interesting ways. Um, obviously, she is a huge in that Lockjaw archetype because Lockjaw can, on the first turn that you play Lockjaw, you can use a zero mana card to like cantrip for that uh, that card. You can, on turn three, technically play your three power Lockjaw, your zero cost Wasp, and then get out a, a 20 power um, Infinite immediately, um, which is insane. Um, she works well with that uh, uh, Patriot archetype, which is a big thing. Um, she is a good card to put out to buff. I think that she 
One thing I really like about her is that she is zero mana, and there are very few zero mana cards. And one really crazy thing about that is that she dodges a lot of um, regulations in the game. So she's a cheap card, and like cheaper, obviously, than one, one mana cards, but she dodges Killmonger. She dodges pretty much any form of removal. Um, she and dodges Crimson Cosmos do and the Big House. Yeah, she dodges like like there like that that was I think that is a really fantastic thing about her is that there is a location there's the Big House where you can't play um, four five and six card uh, cost cards Crimson Cosmos you can't play one two and three costs there's no location in the game that like so like those locations that are really common that try and regulate the power of the cards the uh, cost of the cards you're putting in there. Um, she completely dodges them and she just like gets around a lot of mechanics and has a lot of just like weird and interesting synergy. And I think I just really love her as like this surprise when you, when you first are playing those Patriot decks, especially, I just, I really am in love with her as a combo to shock someone. Um, you, like you, you get down to like, I got, I feel like I had a lot of games that were completely won by her where i'm thinking like how am i going to play out my last turn i need big a big big like hulk drop or something like that i need a big like maybe i can do abomination plus uh misty knight or something somewhere but i but i'm like tied at another location and like how am i going to play this out and that the opponent is also thinking about that of like where is the power going on turn six and that wasp can just be this like shocking tiebreaker of like wait they played a third card and or, or they played their hulk here and then they broke the tie somewhere out with like a three a three power zero cost card with the buff you know like she just like is like such a fantastic card to have in your hand to like surprise people and like just play her out in a shocking way um and then finally on the list we have america chavez and she also like she is like such a technical card um she's definitely a card that like is about her data um she is a yeah it's interesting right because yeah. uh she seems like such a simple card at the surface where she is a six energy nine cost card so kind of she weak. is so very and and like expensive like six energy is the most energy you usually have at the end of the game so america chavez's effect is you always draw this card on turn six and not before which is interesting for a number of reasons. Um, among them, though, is that you don't draw her before. So one issue with any card game is the randomness, right? Is you could have a whole hand of really expensive cards, uh, and that kind of that kind of feels bad because if you, in a lot of cases, if you don't draw your combo, you have to retreat. America Chavez makes your deck more consistent by making it so that this card is always on the bottom of the deck. So instead of drawing from a possibility of 12 cards, you're drawing from a possibility of 11. So, so it makes it easier to pull off those combos. Um, it, it like the, the value of her is that if you're talking about Hulk, which is the vanilla six cost card, it's six twelve. she's six, nine, but you'll never, but like, there's such a benefit to not having that Hulk in your hand on turn one, right? Like you, you can't, that card is dead until is is in, in most games that card would be like completely dead until turn six. Um, so America Chavez coming out on turn six is like, you'll always have some power on turn six. She works well in these, like th there's this new archetype. I mean, that's, I mean, it's not, not new at this point, but it's like, like, coming out that has like been you know 
perfected over the last couple months of this like Dracula archetype where um, you play Dracula and all these like low cost minions and then you will always draw your Chavez on turn six you play out your hand and then the Dracula is always a nine cost that you paid four four on turn four um so like she just has like a lot of interesting synergies she's definitely one of those like good cards that that like slots in for comboy decks um has a lot of like interesting powers outside and like limits the size of your deck i just think she's like a really cool uh uh card in general and like has a lot of uses so what would be so out of these cards what would be the card that you it's it's hard to say because lockjaw is my favorite card but I don't know that it necessarily makes it uh, the best designed Marvel Snap card. You know what I mean? That's tricky. Uh, hmm. You know, as weak as it is, I think it's the worst card we have on the list. But I'm, I've got to give it to Multiple Man. I think that he's so cool. I think that he is such a good design. I, I love I, Multiple Man is so cool in the comics. Uh, he's an X-Men. Uh, which makes him a little bit cooler than most of the characters on this list. He is uh, not the only X-Men. Nightcrawler is also on the list. Um, Nightcrawler, the better <laughs> the better of these X-Men. But I, I also think that Nightcrawler or, or Multiple Man is the type of card where whenever another move card comes out or something that affects move, um, can move other cards, m- Multiple Man's going to be reevaluated, right? And and I think that that makes him an interesting card. He's really fun. He's... He has a good like dream, right? You see that card, and the first time you see him going off, you're like, "Oh my god, the dream is alive with Multiple Man." You want that like early, early Multiple Man. You want to buff him. You want to start moving him around. He becomes massive. Um, you want him to be a seven power card with that you know with the hulk buster yeah and you're like and it's moving this monstrous card around duplicating it everywhere and it's not even about the idea of like multiple man being strong it's about the the way that he's delivered up to you it's about the way that he makes you think about the rest of the game uh i think it's easy to pick like a card like america chavez and think about like why she's technically interesting and, and, you know, the, the types of things that she allows you to do um, and the fact that she's, like, reliable. But I think that in terms of uh, what's good for the game and the way the game makes you think about it and the way the game makes you think about deck building, I think that Multiple Man is a really good example of that. Minus Squirrel Girl, um, I just feel like, I, I said why, I just feel like she is so interesting, has so much use outside of, like, she has so many lives, uh, if, if squirrels are like cash, like, you know, having nine lives, like she has that initial use of Kazar and Blue Marvel and you're buffing her for like a zoo deck. Um, she has she she wins games on her own by getting into Death's Domain, by getting into Sanctum Sanctorum. Um, she she has that death art like she just she just like is a fantastic, simplistic card that has so many powerful uses and like just always will see play. Right on. Next category. So winners of that category, Multiple Man and Squirrel Girl. 